we have very little time. This is Mr. Lacombe. Hello. We need answers from you. They're honest, direct, and to the point. Where's Jason? Est-ce que vous vous rendez compte du danger que vous courez, vous et votre ami? Do you realize the danger that you and your friend have risked? En venant ici, vous exposez au gaz toxique? In coming here, you've exposed yourself to toxic gas. All right, nobody warned us about the five-alarm chili. Jason had two bowls, but I wouldn't call what happened toxic. I want to talk to the man in charge. Mr. Lacombe is the highest authority. He isn't even an American. Monsieur Niri, êtes-vous un artiste, un peintre? Are you an artist or a painter? No, I'm a movie critic. It's like the opposite of art. Est-ce qu'il vous arrive d'entendre des sons curieux dans votre oreille, des sons persistants? Hearing a persistent uh, ringing in your ears. Presque agréable, mélodique. An agreeable ringing. <sighs> I listened to a lot of Pantera as a kid. Avez-vous des maux de tête, des migraines? Having headaches, migraines? Yeah, but I just watched the Snyder Cut of Justice League. Irritation des yeux et des sinus? An irritation in your eyes and your sinuses. Not since I quit snorting heroin. Des mangeaisons, des allergies? You have hives, you have uh, allergies. Des brûlures sur le visage et sur le corps? And burning uh, on your face and on your body. The lube I bought wasn't hyperallergenic. Who are you people? N'avez-vous pas fait récemment une rencontre? Have you recently had a close encounter? Une rencontre plutôt inhabituelle? encounter with something very unusual. Well, just Jason, and he's more eccentric than unusual. Hold it, hold it, hold it. Is that it? Is that all you're going to ask me? I've got a couple of thousand goddamn questions. I want to speak to someone in charge. I want to lodge a complaint. We have every right to make a movie podcast. It's not hurting anybody. Well, maybe some people, but only emotionally, not physically. Why have you abducted us? What the hell is going on around here? Who the hell are you people? Hello, everybody, and welcome to Late Seating. I am Jason Harding. And I'm Steve Shives. And on this show, we take a classic movie and see if it lives up to its reputation, whether that reputation is good or bad. And this time around, its reputation is good, right, Steve? Oh, boy, howdy. It sure is. Mm-hmm. What movie are we going to see that has a good reputation? Finally, fuck. God damn it. It feels like I've been watching Catwoman for nine months over uh. and over again. I mean, Steve got a movie at Valentine's time where he got to like it, and I just sat there and listened to him on and on about how great it was. And I'm like, I did. What movie are we reviewing? This is good. We're, please, please. We we are reviewing that classic of science fiction from 1977, Close Encounters of the Third Kind. Almost a porno title. Oh, so close to a porn. That, that's, the, that's the fourth close. kind. The fourth kind is when you get to the porno. Is sex with an alien? <laughs> yeah, fourth. The fourth. So one is is a sighting. Two is physical evidence. Great. Three is contact. Uh, four is great. is having sex. Awesome. Yeah. Great. I'm glad we we parsed that out. Yeah. What's the fifth kind? Murder. Five is when you uh, there's a pregnancy and then there's uh, a custody. There's a there's you have to go to court for a custody hearing. That's which one's murder? Kind. Is that sixth? Six is murder. Six. Yeah, which depend okay. uh, yeah, depending on how the other the other four go or the other depending on how the other five go. You might Oh uh, yeah. You might get to I six. mean, I thought seven I was pretty sure seventh was cannibalism. Yeah, right? seventh is cannibalism. Well, I mean, it's not really cannibalism because they're not like human. But I mean, if you eat them it's like cannibalism, they think. Yeah. yeah. Right? Um eight is sitting on the couch with the alien and watching Pee-wee's Playhouse. 
Oh, okay. Um, okay. Yeah, they get more and more specific the further you go. Well, also, it's time period-wise, because there was no Pee-wee's Playhouse in the 1970s. They had to add that at the late 80s. They add, When that started happening in the late 80s a lot, they right. added that. They expanded right. it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, when Project Blue Book went completely bonkers, and they were having to write in more and more close encounter types. Yeah, right? eventually they just scrapped the whole thing. Yeah, They were getting very specific. They had to change it to watching television, not specifically Pee- yeah. Pee-wee's Playhouse. Well, and because, yeah, you know, you get to, like, close encounters of the 18th kind, and it's like when you go out yeah. for nachos with the alien, but you pay. Like, it's really specific. Right, exactly. Right. And then you get, I think they capped out at 563. Yeah. And it, the 563rd is, like, helped an alien move. There's yeah. like watch watch their dog over the weekend, you know, which you don't mind because it's good pooch and you don't have a dog of your own. That's all in the explanation. That's all the in the in the in in the description. That's right. Yeah. yeah. Or you get to pretend like you have a dog for a weekend, but you don't have the responsibility of always having a dog, so it's only a temporary thing. And then they come back and they said, "How did you like my dog? And was my dog a good boy?" And you're like, "Yes, of course, it was a great boy." And you you know you've drank a lot more of their liquor than you thought you were going to. And you hope they're not going to notice for a little while, and you know maybe there's fewer snacks, and they never really establish rules around the snacks while you're taking care of the dog. But you know you figure, fuck them, they're rich, they can afford their own they're, snacks. Yeah, they're rich aliens. Yeah, they're always you know lording over you how much more money they make whenever you go out to a party. So fuck them. I'm going to eat their snacks and drink their booze while not watching their dog. Yeah, exactly. We went personal again, didn't we? That's that's a close encounter. The joke of the stopped being a joke. <laughs> <laughs> Yay! Close Encounters of the Third Kind. Hey, Steve, do you have any yeah. trivia for this movie? I do got some trivia for this movie. Awesome, because if you didn't, I'd say you're not doing your job, because, <laughs> boy, you don't have to look hard for some. <laughs> yeah, there's some trivia to be found about this movie. If you said no, I'd be like, there's trivia, and you're like, no, there isn't. No, not really. <laughs> I mean, I looked I looked it up, and I didn't find anything. I just kept finding porno, that's all. <laughs> <sighs> Um, this is to date. I believe yes. I'm. I believe I'm correct in this. I double checked a few times to make sure. Uh, to date, I, this is the only film that Steven Spielberg has directed for which he is also the only credited writer. Um, un- but he shouldn't be, unless you count uh, his first movie, his first feature film, Firelight, which he made when he was 17 for $500, and like almost nobody right. has seen because it wasn't like a big. It was just like a, a movie he made as a kid. But um, right, other than that, of of his like Spielberg movies, he is the only credited writer. It is, it is the credit is written and directed by Steven Spielberg. And the that's word it. is credited writer. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Absolutely, credited writer. But but n- no other film. He he has gotten story credits or co screenplay credits on on many of his other films. This is the only yeah. one that he that he is the only on screen credited writer. And um, that's true. And the the film is inspired by an experience from his childhood, uh, when just as we see oh, the, just as we see the protagonist in in this movie. Um, mm-hmm. wake the family up to go out into the middle of nowhere just to see where he saw the UFO. Spielberg tells a story about how his father woke up his family and dragged him out to the country to see a meteor shower. And that is that was the inspiration for that scene in the movie. Um, oh, great. More daddy issues. Yeah. Hmm, weird, right? So we're so rare yeah. for a filmmaker. 
father or, 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 stumbles home and tries to cover up the fact that he's been fucking everything with legs by saying, hey kids, I'm not late because I'm getting chlamydia from the waitress down the road. Let's go. Let's go and watch the meteor shower. Meteor shower. Meteor shower. Come on, let's get on the roof and watch the meteor shower. Stevie, Stevie, wipe the lipstick off my neck before your mom says, okay, just wipe it. Stop crying, Stevie. It's our little secret. Stevie, don't you see the meteors? No, Daddy. Just, you, just no, look at the no. <laughs> Look at the meteors. Look at the sky. If you, if the kids don't ooh and on, your mom's gonna catch on. Don't you ever put this in a movie? Um. <laughs> <laughs> also, uh, as a lot of people probably know already, if if you know about like um, aviation history and stuff like that, or if you're into the paranormal, uh, Flight 19 was a real thing. Uh, Flight 19, which is the the group of airplanes that mysteriously reappear in the movie in, in the first act, yeah, um, in one of the first scenes, uh, that was a real group of World War II bomber planes that was lost in the Bermuda Triangle. That's right. In 1945, That's right. and uh, right. because of where the planes disappeared, uh, and the fact that no wreckage was ever recovered or anything like that, the loss of Flight 19 has been the subject of a lot of paranormal speculation. But the mm-hmm. and there has never been an official explanation as to what actually happened. But what actually happened was probably a lot more mundane than whatever paranormal investigators think. Uh, what probably what happened was the mundane thing. What pro- what probably happened was the planes got lost. They got they were just taken off course and they couldn't find their way back to where they were supposed to be and they ran out of fuel and they crashed into the ocean and the wreckage was never found because the ocean is really big. Um, it's a big ocean. But uh, so you know that's probably what actually happened. It wasn't aliens or anything like that. But good for Steven Spielberg for incorporating a real life mystery into his story. So I mean, I, I can imagine if you're like if if people see this movie for the first time and they're like an aviation history nerd or or they're into mm. like Bermuda Triangle type lore, like that's kind of a neat little Easter egg that you can recognize and go, oh, that was a real thing, you know. Um, mm-hmm. And finally, I'm sad now. Oh, all those people are dead. All those people are dead, and they exploited them for this UFO movie. Yeah, but the families of those people from Flight 19 were like, wait. Does this mean that grandfather is still alive and he's been with aliens, mommy? And she's crying so hard into her purse so that her so that their your daughter doesn't see. And she's like, No, that's not what that means. This is all made up fucking bullshit from a man who's been scarred by his father. <laughs> Grandpa's at the bottom of the Atlantic Ocean, Billy. Anyway. Um <laughs> And finally, grandfather made a lot of fish very happy for a short time. <laughs> he became a part of the ecosystem. It's the circle of life. It's a good thing. What does that mean? I'm gonna become part of the circle of life and get eaten by fish, mommy? Maybe if you want to be buried at sea. Anyway, watch the movie, honey. Okay. Five <laughs> years later, <laughs> ET comes on. Oh shit, <laughs> mommy. <laughs> God damn you, Spielberg! Why do you keep doing this to us? (laughs) Spielberg! (laughs) Why does the movie director hate us? Ten years later at Jurassic Park, they're taking their own children to go see it. (laughs) The dinosaurs are going to kill us! (laughs) Uh, Ruining childhoods since the early 70s. Steven Spielberg. (laughs) Okay, get uh, more trivia. L- l- one last thing, which is just kind of a neat thing uh, for me. 
Um, the, the model of the mothership that we see at the end of this movie is actually on display at the Udvar Hazy Annex of the Air and Space Museum. Um, yeah, which I have never actually seen because I've never been to the Udvar Hazy Annex. The Udvar Hazy Annex is not the building in Washington, D.C. that's there on the National yeah. Mall. It's in Virginia at a, uh, at a like mm. an airport, an, an airplane hangar. And uh, I've never yeah. actually visited that. It looks awesome, though. That's where they have uh, one of the space shuttles and a lot of the other sort of like mm. historic airplanes are there that they didn't have space for in the actual Air and Space Museum. Yeah. Um, and that's where the model of the mothership from Close Encounters is. So there you go. It's It's the... It's the B section of the of the. It, it, exactly. It's where the, you know. Yeah. People would walk by it in the regular museum and go, "What's that doing here? The Enterprise is here. It deserves to be here at the Smithsonian." Yeah, in the real Smithsonian. <laughs> Who gives a shit about this fake, made-up alien Not, shit? <laughs> put it in the annex. Put it in the B annex. Exactly. Put, just put it over there. We got the space shuttle that never went into space. <laughs> <laughs> The, quote, space shuttle, unquote. <laughs> Just wrote on the back of that fucking, uh, what was it? It was a 747. A 747, I think, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. It was like, we didn't even fly. You just <laughs> rode piggyback. It's not so much a space shuttle as an air glider. <laughs> I don't think they even turned the engine on. <laughs> they just dropped it off a plane and said, can we land it? Mm-hmm. We can land it. Cool. <laughs> yeah. It's, you know, it's, you know, the tour guys are all, are all astronauts that never got a chance to go to space because they got sick or something. Right? <laughs> had an ear infection. Well, I was going to pilot the Columbia spacecraft, but then I got herpes and I can't, I couldn't go. <laughs> so uh, now this is my life. Anyway, look, the, the mothership from Close Encounters, huh? How about that? Fun fact, herpes is the most common medical reason for an astronaut to be grounded. Uh-huh. Right next to it is a model ship from the TV show Andromeda. That was produced by, or based on an idea from Gene Roddenberry, I, th- I think. Based on anyway, something yeah, Gene Roddenberry almost... wrote on the back of a napkin while he was on his deathbed. It's almost as good, right? <laughs> and hey, here we have the ship that that broke the sound barrier after after uh, <laughs> Chuck Yeager did it. Like, Here's a that's that's this is a, anyway. Can someone buy me lunch from the cafeteria today? <laughs> Would be great because I don't. I haven't eaten. I haven't eaten. I have a degree in science. <laughs> I, I was a, a pilot. I was a naval aviator. <laughs> I was a naval aviator. I didn't see any action, though. I only flew twice. Um, where did everybody go? <laughs> Probably went to go look at the models for 2010, the, the year we made contact. That's that classic that's film. That's the sequel to 2001. Um, just It's bourbon and crying again tonight, I guess. Glenn is just bourbon and crying. I will go forever with this new character that I've fallen in love with. He's a delightful character. The bitter failed astronaut who is a tour guide at the backup Air and Space Museum. (laughs) (laughs) You know, they they treat this stuff, you know, like it's important, but there's been holes in the roof for years and they just don't fix them. (laughs) They just don't. It's cold. It's cold in here, kids. It's, it's, cold it's just reason. an airplane hangar. It's literally just a a, uh, a storage space for the Smithsonian that we let they, people walk through. They put shit here that they they don't care if it if it if it survives, and I'm here. <laughs> <laughs> I'm I'm here, kids. Can can I be here to one of you? Just maybe one. <laughs> Who wants to see the spirit of East St. Louis? 
Huh? <laughs> huh? It's a pretty cool little airplane. <laughs> Utterly no historic significance whatsoever, but there it is right there. <laughs> okay, well, yeah, it's all right. Oh, Sally Ride, whatever. <laughs> Got it. Just, oh, my God. Oh, Sally Ride, big whoop. Anyway, you ready to, to, for me to talk about who made yeah. it instead of being in this bizarre tangent? <laughs> Let's talk about the who made it. Okay. It was directed by Steven Spielberg. Don't, don't, audience. Think for a second that I'm going to go over his whole resume again. I'm not doing it. But it was one of the movies that he made in the 70s, and all but one of them were good. So, <laughs> so it was a yeah. pretty good decade for old Steve. Until the end. Well, yeah. until, until, <laughs> until that last one, yeah. Until that last that one. That almost destroyed his whole career. Is <laughs> is produced by Julia Phillips, who also produced The Sting and Taxi Driver, and she was the first woman producer to ever win an Academy Award. Woohoo! In 1970. Probably because she was the only woman producer. Right, Hollywood? Right, right, Hollywood? That's... That's empowerment, yep. right? It only took Hollywood. It, it only took forty years of the Oscars for a woman to finally win a producing <laughs> award. Also by Michael Phillips, they were married, so they produced the same things, and they were the ones that believed in this project. And they were gonna make sure it was gonna get done. Woo-hoo. Written by Steven Spielberg, but other people wrote on it. Other people produced drafts of the script, but he produced the final draft yes. of the script, and that's what's important, right? As right. long as that's what the Writers Guild says. <laughs> as long as they got paid, I guess. Yeah. Starring Richard Dreyfus as Roy Neary. Hey, Steve. Yeah. Who did he really want? I I think he Who wanted did Steve McQueen, didn't really he? Want? That's right, he wanted Steve McQueen. He was his first choice. Um, and Steve said, I, I love it. I love the script, um, but I can't cry. So no. And I'm like, well, cut the crying scene out. But Steve McQueen was like, he needs to cry, and I can't do it. Well, we can change it so that you don't. You can cry off camera or something. We can spray in the face with a fucking water bottle, Steve. <laughs> Jesus Christ. And he's like, don't read between the lines. I don't want to do this movie. <laughs> <laughs> You're going to make me say it, aren't you? I think this movie would have been fucking awesome with Steve McQueen in it. Oh, I agree. I honestly do. And I... And I think with the exception of him not being able to cry, I think he would have been able to pull off all the same beats that uh, that Richard Dreyfuss did. I think so. I think he would have right. been fine with this, yeah. I mean, it would have been a lot different, mm-hmm. but I think, yeah, Steve McQueen could certainly do it, for sure. Yeah. Richard Dreyfuss was not the first, second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth choice for this movie, Steve. You know who else? Who else? Almost everybody. Everybody. <laughs> it's another one of those. Everybody except the guy who actually ended up playing it. Mm-hmm. Um, Dustin Hoffman was was offered it. He turned it down. Thank God, because I don't think he would have worked in this movie at all. Al Pacino also turned it down. Thank God. Although modern day Al Pacino as this part would be hilarious. No. (laughs) Yeah, he would be hilarious. What are those mailboxes doing? (laughs) He just... But this one I'm conflicted on because I know he could have done it. I know he could have done it. Gene Hackman. Oh, yeah. Well, Gene Hackman can do pretty much anything. Yeah, yeah he could have I mean, been so good in this day. <laughs> yeah, he, he would have been terrific. Mm-hmm. But I'm not done. Jack Nicholson turned it down because of scheduling conflicts. Eh, I mean, Nicholson and could have done it, too, because Nicholson's a great actor, but I don't. I, it would be, would be very mm-hmm. different. 
Well, Richard Dreyfuss had heard about this because he'd actually wanted to do this movie before Jaws, right? So he heard about it through Steven Spielberg while they were making Jaws, and Richard Dreyfuss really, 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 really wanted to play this part. Mm. And Spielberg was like, uh, I don't necessarily want you to become the De Niro to my Scorsese and just keep using the same people over and over again. Leave me alone and stop bothering them. But he didn't stop bothering him. In <laughs> fact, he would intentionally talk down other actors that they were considering for the role because they were friends, right? But he'd tell them things like Dustin Hoffman isn't the right choice. Um, because, you know, he looks weird and I hate him. Also, I, I, I think that he's a misogynist. I, I'm pretty sure if you have a girlfriend, he'll go after your girlfriend. Don't hire him. Okay, bye-bye. Or, hey, here's a tuna fish sandwich. I heard Al Pacino likes to suck horses off. So don't hire him. He's going to be bad. Jack Nicholson he'll killed a guy. Bad. Gene Hackman's too old. He's like, he's actually 96. You need to use a lot of prosthetic work if you're going to use him. Jack Jack Nicholson shot my father. Don't he's crazy. He also can't cry and he's a bad actor. Happy Christmas. Steve McQueen can't cry. Um, but apparently what he said was what you need to do is hire a child, right? Someone that's childlike. And that's when Spielberg apparently said, Okay, fine, fuck it, fine. God damn it. You fine, <laughs> you're you're hired. You do it. You're an infant. Are you happy? We start shooting in two weeks. Here's the script, sucker. Francois Truffaut yes. as Claude Lacombe. Guess who they originally wanted? Now, remember, this was his wish list cast. Right. And he never thought he would get Francois Truffaut. And Francois was like, all he has to do is ask me. I will do it. But he didn't ask him because he never thought he'd do right. it. So the first one was Gerard Depardieu. Mm, yeah. And then Philippe Noriette, Jean-Louis Trinton Dangan Dingan Dangan. <laughs> Don't know. <laughs> Trin... Tignant. Trintignant? Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. And Lino Ventura, they were all considered for the role, but finally he asked, and of course he said yes. Who's Francois Truffaut? Are you really listening to a movie podcast and you don't know who he is? <laughs> he is, he is a, I, I would say, a somewhat important director in the history of film. Uh -huh. <laughs> yes, he is. Yeah. Um, Terry Gar is Ronnie Neary. We know Terry Gar. She was, she was in Tootsie. Mm -hmm. Yeah. She was in Tootsie. She was. I'm not starting to remember Tootsie again. Yeah. Uh, but she's also been in like Young Frankenstein mm -hmm. and Mr. Mom and a bunch of other movies. She's great. She's cute. She's, she's great. You're funny. She's a good comedic actor. Melinda Dillon as Jillian Guler. Geeler. I guess Geeler. Terry Gar wanted to play her part. Um, but she got cast as Ronnie instead because they were like, ha ha, no. And then um, Melinda Dillon was actually cast three days before filming began. Yeah, I heard that. Yeah. You guys know her. She played the mom in Christmas Story. And boy, do I not associate those two roles at all. They're, they're very I, different. They're completely separate people. Yeah, yeah. I know. Yeah. Range. Bob Balaban is David Lochlin, and you know him from all of the uh, Christopher Guest improv movies. And he was in... Oh, this is just like all the mo bad movies we've been reviewing lately are coming back, Steve. Oh. He was in Lady in the Water. Yes, he was. He was the, the evil Oof. film critic. Yes, he was. The most evil man to ever live. Mm -hmm. Warren Kemmerling as Major Wild Bill Walsh. Nothing. I mean, stuff. A lot of these guys are character actors. Roberts Blossom as Farmer. Philip Dodds as Jean-Claude. 
Carrie Goofy. <laughs> As Barry Geiler, the little kid. He was four years old while they were while they were filming it. You know what his nickname was on set? Oh, I think Spielberg called him like one take Carrie, right? One yeah. take Carrie. Yeah. Yeah. And he didn't go on to another career. His parents were very protective of him. Guess who offered him a role after this movie came out, Steve? Oh, I know this um, because it was uh, it, it was Kubrick because he wanted him in The Shining. He yeah. wanted him to play Danny in The Shining. Yeah, and, but they turned it down. And good for him. <laughs> yeah. Ask Shelley Long how that turned out. <laughs> well, since he seems to direct all of his abuse towards his female. That's true. The kid was probably okay, yeah. Yeah, the kid was fine because oh boy, you got a lot of answer for Stanley. <laughs> you got an answer. I'm going to make eat, I'm going to make Steve answer for oh. you. How about that? Oh, oh great. <laughs> well, <laughs> Lance Henriksen as Robert. He has one line in this, I think. Mm-hmm. And you know Lance Henriksen. He was Bishop from Aliens, and he was the other cop that gets killed in Terminator, <laughs> and he was in a horrible show called Millennium that was running with the X-Files yeah. in the 1990s. He was in The Right Stuff? He does a lot of... He was in The Right Stuff. That's right. He was in The Right Stuff. Um, and he's been in even more garbage. He's been oh, yeah. in a lot of bad stuff. Oh, yeah. Uh, Meryl Connolly is team leader. <laughs> George DiCenzo is Major Benchley. Blah. Gene Dinarski as Ike. No, nothing. Joseph Summer as Larry Butler. And Carl Uh, Weathers as military police. He actually has more lines than Lance Henriksen. Yes, he does. And every time I see him in this movie, I brighten up. And then I remember he's in it for 30 seconds. And then he's gone. He's in it just for the scene. (laughs) You're not going to see him again. He doesn't put on the red and white striped boxing shorts and go punch the aliens out. No. No. Anyway, you know him from The Mandalorian, and you know him from Predator, and you know him from Rocky movies, and uh, that's it. That's all you know him but, from. Uh, never, ha- Happy Gilmore. Else. Oh, God, yeah. He I was Chubbs in Happy Gilmore. Music by John Williams. I don't... Has he done... He, has he worked trivia. extensively in, in filmmaking, John Williams? No. Here's some <laughs> trivia. John Williams had to be brought on board early because music is an intrinsic part of this plot. Yes. Also, this is the most subdued Steven Spielberg has ever used John Williams. There are long stretches of this movie where there is no soundtrack at all. That's true. In fact, I think the first 10 minutes of this movie, until they find the airplanes. Oh, no, it's the airplanes first. After that, there's almost no music. That's right. For a long... There's not even music over the credits. Or the opening credits. I mean, there's music over the closing credits, but No, the opening credits are... Yeah, it's quiet. Um, and in fact, I love that blank thing where they build do the slow build up with the bang at the beginning with when it opens on the desert. Mm-hmm. Love that. Um, cinematography by Vilmos Zygmunt, and he worked on The Deer Hunter and Deliverance and unfortunately Heaven's Gate, mm-hmm. but he's a very, very influential cinematographer. A lot of guys copied what this guy was doing, and that's why the 70s has a kind of very unique look to it. Because they were copying his lensing, they were copying the film stock, they were copying a lot of, a lot of his shot compositions and things like that. So, um, very influential. He does such a good job in this movie. <laughs> <laughs> he really does. Edited by Michael Kahn, and Michael Kahn has worked on every single one of Steven Spielberg's movies, except one. I think. I think there was only one that he didn't edit. 
Um, and he, like I said in, the, in a previous review, he's probably one of the reasons why Steven Spielberg films have a feeling. And that's in large part also due to the editor who he's been partnered with now for decades. Um, it was a oh, production company, EMI Films, distributed by Columbia Pictures, release date November 16th, 1977, running time 135 minutes, budget $19.4 million, or 82.4, adjusted for inflation, box office $306 million, or adjusted for inflation, $1.3 billion. Wow. <laughs> So it made its money back. Columbia had a lot writing on this movie. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. They had a lot writing. Well, they kind of rushed him to get it done. They, they, they rushed him to yeah. get it out by, by the end of 77. Yeah, Yeah, they did. And they were saying, we're willing to put up the money for you to make it, but we need it by a specific point because we need to get this out because we're going bankrupt. Please don't let us go bankrupt, Stephen. So he released it. You know, they cut it together. He didn't have all the special effects that he necessarily wanted, although he says that there are shots in this that he would do better I'm looking at the film going, I don't see what shots you're talking about, but I know that there were certain things that he wanted in the film, and so now we're going to address this. Guys, there are three versions of this movie. Steve and I have reviewed the theatrical cut, Mm -hmm. the original cut that came out in 1977, the thing that caused everyone to get super excited and go cuckoo bananas about UFOs for the remainder of the 70s and well into the 80s. Oh, yeah. Um, But a couple, about three years later, Columbia released a special, what was called the special edition. And Spielberg wanted the money to be able to go in and add in the scenes that he wanted to add in and put in some special effects that he didn't get a chance to do. And they said, yeah, you can do that, but we want you to add this one thing to make it so that people go see the movie. We need to follow Richard Dreyfuss into the ship to see the inside of the ship. Spielberg said, no one needs to see the inside of the ship. It will never live up to audiences' expectations of what's in their imagination, but I'll do it because I'll get a chance to put all this stuff in. Great. Then came the Ultimate Edition, where eventually Spielberg got to cut out that scene of him going into the ship and leave in everything else that he wanted to leave in. So that's why there are three versions. If you've seen a version of this movie where he goes inside the ship, or there's a giant sea freighter in the middle of the desert, then you didn't watch the original theatrical cut. Also, if there's a scene where... Neary's family just goes bonkers bananas and his oldest son has a mental breakdown to the point in which you're really scared for him, then you probably watched either the special edition <laughs> or the ultimate edition, because that's also not <laughs> it's a missing, theatrical yeah. cut. Right. All right, Steve. Yes. Okay. We're going to get into this military this military truck that's dressed up like a Piggly Wiggly. Oh, how fun. And let's me and you drive wearing military uniforms. Are we going to drive right. from Indiana to Wyoming? That's right. Awesome. <laughs> and let's meet you go into the world of close encounters of the third kind. Steve, please take it away. Oh, boy. Well, first we get those credits, which are over, for the most part, no music. There's a little bit of music that fades up as it goes on, but it's mostly silent credits. And then we... It's a building tension crescendo. Yeah, yeah. And then we open, which is it, great. We open in the desert in Mexico, where some people, oh. are, some people have showed up to a place where there's a thing, <laughs> and they're like, "Where's the thing? We came to see the thing, and are we the first people? Show us your thing. Are we the first okay, people? Okay, senor, zip. <laughs> are we the Here's first people thing. to be to see the thing? 
I thought you would be interested in the the old timey aircraft, but okay, you wanted to see it. Ah, <laughs> uh, very nice thing. You misunderstood me. <laughs> the aircraft. That's what I wanted to see. The aircraft. Um, Who do we meet first? Um, we meet, uh, it's, uh, Laughlin and then Lacombe because Laughlin is, is a cartographer, but he can speak French. So he gets to be the translator for Lacombe, who is French and doesn't speak English. And, uh, and not much. And he can also, uh, he can also speak Spanish or, you know, or Laughlin can speak because they need someone to translate from French to English to Spanish, like to translate between everybody. Um, yeah, he can't. He can't translate Spanish, but there's another guy. There's that another knows guy how to speak. who can. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, but yeah. So anyway, it turns out that there there are these the, these airplanes that have just mysteriously appeared in this area, and they're 1940s era uh, bomber planes, like single pilot bomber mm-hmm. planes, um, and they're just you know sitting here in the desert in the middle, of, you know, the dust blowing around them, and they they go and they examine these airplanes, and the the one guy's looking at him, and he's like. Well, this is weird. These planes look like they're from the 40s, but it seems like they're brand new. And then somebody explains to him that they, you know, mm-hmm. based on the markings and stuff on the planes, they know that these are the planes that were lost on Flight 19, which disappeared mm-hmm. in the Bermuda Triangle in 1945. And they're I'm like, going oh, crazy, shit. I have to say it. They were, t- they were TBM Avenger torpedo bombers. Sure, there you go. See, you're one of them aviation of, nerds I was talking about before. It's one of my one of my favorite Navy planes ever. And, and what kind? Anyway, of, and what kind? What was what kind of plane was it that was also lost when they sent a second mission to look for them? Oh, I don't give a shit I about that. I, I don't know that. I don't, I don't know that off the top of my head either. But I do know that there was there was there was a a, a plane was sent after them after they disappeared, and that plane also disappeared. Okay, um, but now they found them all. Yay! Yeah, and the pilots are fine, and we can. The movie's over. <laughs> nope, the pilots aren't there. Oh, it's just Do the they planes. still run? Uh, they're like brand new. They're brand new. Yeah, they still got pictures in them, and like brand new calendars and stuff, yeah. and they can oh. run. Yeah, they start one up. Yep. And the cartographer guy is like, I'm part of this department. I know what it is we're investigating. Why am I asking these questions out loud? I should know the answer. Aliens done did it. <laughs> it's, it's for expositional purposes. And they also... Well, now they, we cut... Well, they, they talk yeah. to the local guy, too. They talk to the local guy. Oh, that's right. Who says that... And he's just, he says the sun came out last night and it talked to him. Oh, what did, what did the sun say? Uh, how's it going? Nice day, huh? (laughs) (laughs) Nice. (laughs) The old Mexican guy just kind of chuckles and says, yeah, I see what you did there. That was was clever. I see. That's funny. No, but seriously, the sun came out and talked to me. And he's got a sunburn on his face. Yes, he does. That's right. Remember that for later. That proves it. (laughs) Hard cut to uh, control tower. Yeah, air traffic control. Where is it? In Sandusky. Yeah, I, yeah, I don't know I, where there, it is. Like a, there's like a there, yeah, there's like a title that tells you where it is. I can't remember specifically, but um, but yeah, it's yeah. air, air traffic this control is, in the U.S. somewhere. And, yeah, and this was before Reagan fired them all, yeah. so they're professionals. <laughs> if this had happened after, it would be just a bunch of people with beer hats, you know, with the straw that goes down in their mouth. They just wander around. They don't even know what airplanes are. That's an old joke, guys, but I'm doing it. I'm and, doing well, and it. It's, and it's, it's, it's based in truth, because just in case some of our younger listeners don't know about that, yeah, President Reagan fired all of the air traffic controllers. 
Because they had the gall to go on strike. Because they wanted more money to be paid for to do their incredibly important and stressful job. So he fired fired them all all. and then hired a bunch of boobs and the number of air air traffic accidents we had during the 80s went up, but no one blamed the stupid old senile bastard. Isn't that funny that you're... Chances are, (laughs) if you're an American of a certain age, probably your dad's favorite president did that. (laughs) Anyway, we're safe in the 70s. We're about to get Jimmy Carter, who practically masturbates on television while talking about the economy, <laughs> is about to go on. He's about to become president. So, anyway, we're in air traffic control, and they take their job very seriously. Yes. And they get a call in from a from an airplane, and they're saying, "Hey, we see something weird." Yeah. And then another plane goes, "I can confirm the weird. We both see the weird." And traffic control's like, "How weird." Like, uh, like it's a spaceship, but we're not going to say spaceship because we don't want to appear crazy. Um, but anyway, uh, a spaceship flies by really fast. Yeah. And then they ask them, do they want to report a UFO? And that's probably the first word that you recognize in that entire segment because they're deep into their control tower talk oh, yeah. for most of it. It's very authentic. Yeah. I mean, it's, yeah, it's very jargony and there's not a lot of uh, exposition as to, you know, what is actually going on. Um, yeah. yeah, but he asked them, "Do you want to report a UFO?" And neither one of them do. Nope. And what's never said, but I understand why, because I was deep into UFOs, dude. By the time I was in intermediate school, yeah, yeah they just don't report them because they don't want to appear crazy. Right. Nobody wants wanna, to deal with. Wanna, the, you don't want to get like, oh, so and so, he saw a UFO. You know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, one of my favorite lines in this movie is, uh, "Do you want to report anything <laughs> over?" And the guy's like. I don't know what I'd report, Tower. And he goes, what? Uh, Me neither. (laughs) (laughs) Just leave us alone. Sorry we said anything. But then we cut to a Bubba asleep. Yeah. We meet Barry, and he's sleeping. Yeah. And uh, this scene was improvised. Yeah. (laughs) He apparently had fallen asleep on set in his bed that they told him it was his bed. It wasn't a set. It was a real house. So here's one of the things. Boy, oh, boy. They did not build sets for this movie, did they? No. There's a couple of them, but this is a real house. You can still find this house and go in it. Just, yeah, ignore the people who live just there. Just barge they right they're in. They're used to it by yeah. this point. Mm. Fuck those people. Just start taking pictures yeah. of the inside of their house. <laughs> but he had apparently fallen asleep in bed, so the shot of him waking up is actually something that happened. Right? Yeah. They just woke up. Someone kicked the bed and he woke up. <laughs> Kid, action, fuck. Time to act. <laughs> So, uh, what happens? Steve? Uh, all of his toys are alive, and like his, he has like a that's that's sh- shoddy American craftsmanship. Yeah, you know, you don't you don't want your toys to just start to turn on and start running around whenever aliens show up. You think they have these problems in Wasting Japan? That's batteries. why they're so far ahead of us. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, he's got one of those creepy monkey things yeah. and a couple of robots and a lot of car toys. And uh, then he sees some lights downstairs, right, yeah, Steve? Yeah, yeah. And because he's, you know, an idiot, he goes toward the toward the lights. He's four years old. <laughs> Please abduct me, aliens. Please. T- he's four years old, Take me Steve. To space, aliens. <laughs> he barely has the whole poop goes in he's toilet. Drawn to these- much less the concept of aliens. <laughs> he's drawn to these these lights like a cat to to a a, st- a piece of string. He's just like inexorably drawn. Yeah. He goes down to the kitchen, and these aliens have fucked up the kitchen. Oh yeah, bad. big time. Right, but he sees something in maybe one of the best shots in the movie. 
where we don't see what the kid is seeing, but we can infer that he sees something, and he's not terribly scared. No. Right? We hear sounds going on in the kitchen, and he's looking back and forth at these two things. You know what they were doing for him, for the kid, for the performance? It was like something, they did a magic trick with a gorilla, a guy in a gorilla costume or a rabbit costume or something like that. Something that the kid would find friendly and react to whatever they were doing. Yeah. And then it would translate into his performance of him seeing something that's kind of surprising, right? Yeah. And it worked. It worked really, it really worked good. It worked terrifically, We'd yeah. get that performance out of that four-year-old. But then Barry proves to be a real, he's, boy, Barry... <laughs> <laughs> The aliens leave, right? And Mom wakes up, played by Melinda Dillon. And she's fully dressed. She went to sleep fully <laughs> dressed. She's wearing, like, well, I mean, she's wearing, like, those super great jean shorts that they used to wear in the 1970s, Steve, where they're, they're like, no, just keep for cutting further up. Just leave the <laughs> band of the jeans up at the top. I don't need anything else below. As long as there is a I want piece of to cloth s- on your body. Technically, you I are wearing some, clothes. I want people to see my entire ass but i'm technically wearing shorts she looks out her window and what does she see uh well there's a it's a blackout right mm-hmm. but barry is outside. all the kids outside that's right yeah yeah yeah. and she calls get you ready to listen hear this barry <laughs> and barry just going fuck off mom i'm out of here and he runs into the woods i'm going with the aliens mom yeah he runs into the woods and right. she runs after him no explanation why she's the only parent. No explanation what she does for a living. Doesn't matter. Nope. Right? It's not important. All we need to know, she's a mom. She's got a kid who's kind of dumb. Anyway, so he's <laughs> run off into the woods. loose. <clears throat> Hard cut to a really bad episode of Thomas the Tank Engine. Where Thomas, <laughs> Thomas misses a bridge and it crashes into the river. And and every, I guess everyone on board the, the the train is dead. Boy, oh boy, I'm glad they didn't bring that over to the United States from England. Maybe you guys like that dark stuff, England, but we don't. <laughs> we like happy it's, trains. It's just, <laughs> it's just our main character, our featured hero, our, our the guy that we're supposed to look up to, right? Roy, Roy Neary. It's, it's <laughs> what? Roy, Roy, Roy. It's Roy Neary, our our hero. Roy. And he's playing with his train set. Yeah. And he lives in a hellhole. <laughs> he lives in the nightmare that Steve imagines married life with children is. <laughs> he lives in a house with his horrible family. Uh-huh. And it's not exactly the most... Cl- cl- it's not the cleanest house in the world. No, no, not at all. Um, it's very lived in. Mm-hmm. Now, I can't remember because I conflate all of the versions. Is this the version where while the parents are talking about going to see a movie that one of the kids climbs into a disused crib and starts to smash apart a baby doll? Did that happen in our version? Or is that I, I, what he saved for the extended cut? I can't remember. He's trying to convince them to go see... Uh, Pinocchio. Pinocchio. Yeah. And they don't want to see it because it's ra- rated G for girls. Or for babies. For babies. Right? And he's like, no, he's now demanding. We're going to go where... No, it's a choice between that or Goofy Golf. Right? Yeah. And Goofy Golf, what that is, is that when you walk onto the golf course, they just cram mescaline into your mouth. <laughs> and then you... you tra- like the fun, 70s were different, everybody. <laughs> it was just really different in the 70s. <laughs> um, and they put it up to the vote, and the kids vote for Goofy, Goofy Golf. Golf. You're voted down, Dad. Because they You're don't give outsider. a shit about Pinocchio. No one likes you. Yeah. 
But he gets a call from work, and they're like, we don't know how electricity works anymore, and everything's going terrible. And while they're telling him that, the power goes out, right? Yeah. And everyone goes, yay, because the kids think it's great, because we did in the 70s. We didn't freak the fuck out and go, how are we going to power all of our electrical devices? We didn't. Dark meant cool, being cool and hidden from your parents. It can find you. And you're like, kind of find as you should have bought candles for blackouts, Mom. I'm gone. <laughs> You'll never see me again. <laughs> you ran out into the street and went, woohoo, and it was so dark and you could see the stars again. Oh, man, I love blackouts. 1970s, you see the Milky Way galaxy and you're like, whoa. And you're like, oh, you're secretly hoping, oh, if the power doesn't come back on, how am I going to wake up for school in the morning, Mom, if the power's out? <laughs> I wish civilization would just collapse entirely. And then you have to eat all the ice cream in the refrigerator oh, in the no. freezer because it's going to go bad. Oh, darn. You mean we get to sit watching the stars eating the ice cream before it melts? Oh, boo-hoo, boo-hoo. Why can't we just do this? Like, why does this have to be only for a blackout? Now you scramble for your fucking cell phones and pray to God you have enough to charge on it. And you're like, I didn't charge it. I only have 19% left. <laughs> How can I call PG&E? I don't have enough time. No, PG&E, by the way, is our electrical company. I just wanted to make sure. Because PG&E, I'm, this goes out to people all over the world. Not, ev- not everybody's going to know. Think. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. I could have said Con Ed, but I don't use Con Ed. And still, that's still exclusive, an exclusive term. Anyway, I was... I was uh, I was waxing poetic about growing up in the 1970s during a blackout. Yes, you were. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> you, the 70s, Steve's the, se- the like, 70s to you is like the 30s were to Ray Bradbury. It's like, you know, in any, Kinda. Given, any given moment, you come in during a conversation. It's like, if Ray Bradbury's talking, it's like, I bet he's telling us how fucking great the 30s were. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Your mom didn't care when you came home, just as long as you came home in time to eat, and then she didn't care where you went after. Just be here at 6.30 to eat dinner. Great, bye. And your you house was basically there. a cafeteria. Because one of your friends told you you can catch more fish out of the creek if you go at night and you have a flashlight. Never worked. Your friend was a but liar. But then, you then you'd find some discarded porno magazine from some... Desperate pervert that is left out in the woods. <laughs> Who just leaves their porn in the woods? I don't understand this. Now you can get hot and cold porn 24 hours a day. You guys have it so good. <laughs> you don't know the joy of discovering unexpected woods porn. You spoiled That's right. children. Prayed to God that the pages were stuck together with rain or mud. That's all you... <laughs> Oh, this must be glue. Sure, sure. <laughs> anyway, the power goes out and, and and he needs to go to work. And he goes to work and they're all like, we don't know what's happening. You, you, we got, we, everything's going down. Every, all power's going down everywhere, right, Steve? Yeah, power's off everywhere, yeah. So they send mm-hmm. him out. And they say, yeah. yeah. To cornbread. To cornbread, <laughs> yes. You know, yeah, I'm sure that's a, a bustling metropolis. <laughs> I love it when something's named after the thing that the founder is looking at when it's time to name the town. <laughs> what are we going to call this place? For, uh, cornbread? Sure. Uh, cornbread? Cornbread. I was going to say Sheila's ass, but I don't think that would be appropriate. <laughs> I like Sheila's ass. Let's call it Sheila's ass. Oh. Were you staring at Sheila's ass? <laughs> no comment. <laughs> they send him out, and he, he goes out. He goes out to look. He's driving around in his truck, right? Yeah. 
cut back cut back to this Barry <laughs> cut back to him driving around in his truck um and he gets lost yes he does and he stops he makes a stop to look at maps car drives up behind him he waves them over they call him a jackass he calls them a turkey it's the 1970s yeah the turkey calling someone a turkey was the worst thing you could call somebody (laughs) (laughs) this was before the turkey affirmative action that happened in the early 90s so it was perfectly acceptable to call anybody a turkey now you wouldn't No, there's been a lot of cultural evolution in the in the years since yeah that's right Anyway, he drives around a little bit more. We cut back to Barry, (laughs) and then we cut back to him driving around some more. And uh, he stops at a railroad thing, and he's looking at his maps because he can't find cornbread. And then another car drives up behind him, and without looking, he waves them over. And then (laughs) the car goes up in the air, Steve. It must be one of them flying cars. All right, the Japanese, they know everything. Kicking our ass. Her GM way will never catch up if they got flying cars. Yeah. <laughs> Lee Iacocca is like, fuck it. <laughs> Goddamn flying cars. The car. Japanese are flying cars. Why can't Chrysler Please, make flying government. cars? Oh, fuck no. I don't want GM to make a flying car ever. <laughs> <laughs> Debuting the GM Aerolite. And it comes out, the engine falls off, it crashes into a school. <laughs> It's just a fucking mess. Never mind. Well, we must evacuate at least 40 miles from the crash site because of all of the radiation that's spilling out of our flying car now. Why was it radioactive? What are you people doing? (laughs) But it wasn't a car, was it? No, it's one of them alien ships is what it was because it flies overhead and then he looks around and he doesn't see it. And uh, then the mailboxes because the, by the, 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 yeah. the by his where he's mm-hmm. stopped at start shaking real violently. And then the the whole car the car dies. Yeah, every yeah his yeah everything dies. all the electronic stuff goes off. Yeah. And he's like, "Oh, that's weird." <laughs> and then and then the spaceship fucks him up. Lights come down from the sky, and they're like, "Let's thrash the inside of this guy's truck for some reason." Yeah. <laughs> to hell with this guy. Like, everything's flying around inside of the truck. He tries to look outside, and all he sees are lights, and they burn him with radiation and uh, or something. Yeah. I don't know. I hope it's not radiation. Whatever it is. I really do. And then the, the, the railroad signal is jerking back and forth like it's going to be ripped out of the ground, and it's dinging. And then all of a sudden, it all stops. And he looks up, and he sees a spaceship and it goes down the road and it's looking at other things and he's like oh that's weird and <laughs> look at that and all then the lights come back on in his car and it scares him and he hears on the radio other people going oh that's weird and he's like oh we got to find the weird thing and he starts following through the radio he starts wanting to chase he wants to find him right 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 that's what he wants it to and um we cut back, and Barry has found some hill people in the hills. <laughs> yeah, they're just sitting on the hill by the side of the road, looking up at the sky. Whistling. And it's like two inbred kids and some woman and a really skinny grandpa-dad-uncle cousin. Yep. And, <laughs> like, like they're there for a reason. Like, they know something's going to happen. Right. And uh, Barry... Barry's there, and Mom shows up, and she's like, no. Barry's there, and Roy comes around a corner, and he's going to mash that kid flat. And then Mom jumps out, 
grabs Barry, and uh, Roy comes to a stop, mm-hmm. and he gets out, and he's like, is the kid all right? Because he's pretty dumb. He's just standing in the middle of the road. Yeah. It's nighttime. What are you thinking? <laughs> what? Look, do what I did with my kids. You duct tape them into bed. That's what you do. <laughs> <laughs> do you care about the kid or don't you? Jeez Louise. Fuck. And if they make too much noise, just stuff a rag in there. It doesn't matter if it's clean or dirty. They get used to it. They get used to it. <laughs> but then Barry, with his super strength, wrests himself free from his mother and runs back <laughs> into the middle of the street. Yes. He's like, you can't stop me, Mom. I'm doing it. I'm doing it. There's nothing you can do to stop me. Either a UFO's coming or a truck. I don't care which one it is. But what shows up? Uh, it's 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 the uh, the UFO, right? It like they oh, it's a, it's a bunch of them. It's like four or five of them, and they, yeah, it's, they, they, it's it's three, three of them. Yeah, it, it's three. Yeah. yeah, and it flies over them, and they're like, "Oh, that's weird." And then they and then Roy's like, "Okay, well, since you're okay, goodbye." And he jumps in his truck and he starts chasing after. Yeah, him. and he 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 chases them into Ohio. Yeah, again, there's because he doesn't pay his he toll. He, he blows <laughs> through the toll. I love how the toll the, the toll booth operator operator is like, "Hey, that's Ohio. You owe me a quarter." Like, sorry. And he, he jumps in his Lamborghini that's given to him by the toll collectors bureau, <laughs> and he takes off after him. Yes, the Hardcastle and McCormick theme starts to play. <laughs> nice pull thank you hardcastle in mccormick drive uh anyway there's cops chasing them as well there's cops going after them they're like look at them they're glued to the road because they're dumb cops who thinks that they're cars <laughs> and <laughs> the uh, ufos go off the road on like this cliff top mm-hmm. and they just go off into the sky and the dumb cop <laughs> the goes dumb i cop? can drive on the air too <laughs> if they can do it so can i he smashes through the railing and soars through the air and crashes down below. We don't care if they survived. No, Did we I, I literally don't. <laughs> but then Roy stops because they see, oh, there's a cliff, and they watch the, the UFOs go up into the clouds, and then the clouds light up like there's lightning, and then all the electricity comes back on in the town. The end. <laughs> no, it's not the end. Roy comes home. Yeah. And Roy's drunk. And he's manic. He's a, he's, he's ha- yeah he's guys. he's had quite an exciting night, and he wants to share it with his family. But he, if he had been diagnosed, this could be considered a manic episode. I would say that's fair. Where he open, he wakes up everybody, tells them to get dressed. We're gonna go have fun. We're gonna go have fun. It's four thirty in the morning. Get up. He says it's better Dad, than goofy golf. Dad's, it's better than goofy golf, where you're high as balls on mescaline so it's gotta be better than that (laughs) he pushes them into the car while the neighbor's watching and he drives out to where he saw the ufo where barry was yeah right he's trying to explain to his wife what happened and all she wants is sex yep all she wants is sex from richard dreyfus all Terry Gar wants is sex right all terry gar wants is for richard dreyfus to fuck her you're stuck on that Richard Dreyfus part, huh? I have a feeling that if you were in the Richard Dreyfus part, you would play this scene a little bit differently completely... than kissing her while looking up at the sky. <laughs> I wouldn't be looking up at the sky, I'll tell you that much, buddy. You'd be like, uh, you'd be like, <laughs> undo the handbrake on the truck and just let it roll down just the hill. Let the the so just let the kids time. go. Just let the kids go. Just a sec. Okay. Now that it's become a tradition. <laughs> Ah, okay. 
My son's bicycle has arrived, everyone. That's what that bell was for. Ooh. Anyway, he kisses her, but he's not into it. He's looking up at the sky. He's looking for the UFOs. Right. The next morning, his children are strange, and they do strange things. <laughs> yeah. So he's brushing his teeth, hunched over, like you like do. Like you do, hunched over the sink <laughs> all the way, you know. But the children, along with neighbor kids, have snuck into the bathroom with a paddle and a Polaroid camera. One of the kids smacks his butt really hard with the paddle, and then he turns around with a mouthful of toothpaste, and they take a picture of it. Isn't that great, it's, it's Steve? It's like a little thing they do. They, they put on their little skit, you know. When Steve has daymares about being a father with children, this is what he pictures. <laughs> yep. If you ever find me brooding silently to myself, just sort of staring into the distance <laughs> at nothing in particular, it's things like this that I am thinking of yep. as a chill works its way through my body. <laughs> anyway, um, he's got like half a sunburn yes. across his face. Terry Gar wants him to get rid of that shit. She's, like, right she away. wants him to put some spray but, tan on the other half of his face to even it out. And so he don't want to do that. Mm. The kids are asking him, are they real? And Terry Gar isn't having any of that shit. In fact, she doesn't want anybody talking about it. She's just like, it's one of the things that happen. Yeah. You know, it, it's not that we've made first contact with an alien species that proves that we're not alone in the universe. It's just one of the... It's just a thing. It's just a thing. It's not, it's not real. She's actually cut out yeah. the articles in the newspaper about the flying saucers from the newspaper so that when he sits down to read the newspaper... Um, oh, a, a newspaper was a thing like the internet. It came in paper form, and it was delivered to your front door if you had a paper boy, or you can buy it out of a box. Mm -hmm. And every day, there was a different version of the newspaper for you to pick up and read, right, Absolutely. Steve? Absolutely, and it, that's what you that's did right. instead of like looking at websites and stuff. Mm-hmm. Anyway, all of it was right there in one place. Did you did you need to find a date? They had a personal section. Mm -hmm. Did you need to did you need to buy something uh, from somebody? You'd look in the classified ads. You could find did you, tiltos, did, cabinets. Did you what? did you want to see what time a movie was playing? That's Check right. The you paper. went into the newspaper. Absolutely. Did you wanted to find out how bad John Arbuckle was hallucinating about his talking cat? You could find out it's how right it there. too, because they had a comic section. Do you want a little put game to put your mind to test your mind? You had crosswords, crosswords, all it had everything in one place. Yep. Not like now where you have to go to five billion websites. It was perfect, and we ruined it. We destroyed <laughs> it with our hubris, our wild ambition. And, anyway, um, he says he's going out there again, right? Right. And she's like, "No, you're not." And he's like, but I fucked you last night. What else do you God, want? God, get off my back. <laughs> Jeez, Louise. And um, they start arguing a little bit. The kids are arguing about something. I don't know, about being on the moon or something like that. All the, Everybody's arguing all of a sudden. And then Terry Gar takes a phone call from Roy's work, and they said, hey, you didn't check in ever at any point. <laughs> So we kind of wanted to know where you were, and also, can we get our truck back? And by the way, you're fired. <laughs> Goodbye. So there's that. And Roy got fired. Yeah, didn't even want to talk to him. No, they to they, to they told they told his wife that he was fired and hung up the phone. Yeah, 
And then I guess what he said was, oh, no, then he lays down on the bed. Yeah. And the wife is like, how are we? I'm not going to get another job. I'm never going to work. I'm never working again. I'm not getting a job. Meanwhile, he's staring at a pillow. And he's like, that isn't right. Well, we forgot to mention when he was going to shave, he sprayed some shaving cream in his hand and he went, oh, that's weird. And it was like, he started like sculpting it and stuff. And then we're like, what's going on? I bet that's going to be a thing. I bet it is. But then we cut to something. India? India. Yeah. There's (laughs) a bunch of people in India and they're chanting. Yeah. Um, and yeah, they're saying "Adga, Adga, a," and everyone they won't yeah. stop, and they're like, "Please, government, please make these people stop." <laughs> and Lacombe is there, and Lachlan, Monsieur Lachlan is there, <laughs> and oui, oui. they they go up to the top of a hill and they ask a guy, "Hey, ask him where these sounds came from," and they he gets their attention. They stop singing. Thank mm-hmm. God. And they're like, where did these sounds come from? And what do they do, they Steve? They all point up. They point to their mouth. They do? I thought... Because I thought they were singing. They were, <laughs> <laughs> no, they point up at the sky. <laughs> no, no, the sound that you're no, singing. Your, and they're like voices. looking around at each other. Some are tentatively pointing to their throat. They're like... Not, not your larynx. No, no, no. Eventually, they all point yeah. up. And we're like, oh, God. God told you to sing. We immediately cut to, uh, they've rented a coliseum. Don't know why. A convention center or something. And they're like, hey, we we heard this in India. And we've translated it into musical sign language. And they think that's great. And we're like, what? (laughs) Wait. Wait, What? Good for you, I guess. (laughs) How much are you guys getting paid for this fucking made up job? It's like we're all the guys clap and they're still not saying anything directly about it being about UFOs or aliens or anything right, like that. Right, right, right. It's supposed to be like some kind of communication bullshit. We cut to something that night. Yeah, right? they're back on the uh, where 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 Barry mm-hmm. almost got run over. Where they were they they're were back on Hillbilly Mountain yeah. and they're like, <laughs> they're on that road and Roy's there and. Um, What's her face? What what Jillian. is her name? It's uh, Jillian. Jillian's there, and Barry is there, and a bunch of other people are there, and some people are sitting around playing canasta because they're old people, and people old people played canasta back in the day, and uh, the hillbilly people are there, and uh, a bunch of other people. Creepy dude with a camera is there. <laughs> Take a yeah. picture picture of Barry, um, and uh, you know Jillian and Roy get to look at each other's you know sunburns and then they go up to barry and what's barry doing oh he's 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 making something out of like the mud he's building like one a mound out of the mud like like uh right. roy made out of his shaving cream and like he he mm-hmm. looked saw in because in the 1970s we didn't care how dirty our kids got we didn't give a no. shit <laughs> go, go play in the mud i don't care now we wanted them to play in the mud otherwise you're never going to develop defenses against allergies just fucking roll in it eat enough of it so that you're actually not hungry for dinner later rub it just into go your naked cuts. out into the world <laughs> Roll Just on the ground. It. Put anything you want in your mouth. Look over there. Live, you throw roadkill into the mud and stomp it in. Come on, come back and play with the mud, please. <laughs> the mud gives strength. <laughs> 
but again, Richard Dreyfus says this shape means something. I don't know, but it's yeah. important. It means something. Jelly and them, then play with the mud like they're gonna paw at it like it isn't a phallus symbol, which is what it is. is gross. Um, but then they see lights coming, and they're like, "Yuppie! The UFOs are coming!" And they get closer, and they get closer, and it's not UFOs, is it, Steve? No, it's helicopters. Military helicopters that are just there for some reason. Definitely not to drive people away, right, Steve? Just to fuck with the UFO people. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Watch this. Watch this. <laughs> <laughs> Let me buzz these hillbillies. It'll be a kick. <laughs> I come in peace, motherfuckers. Not really. <laughs> um, what do we cut to after that? Um, oh, oh, do we cut to where they're they're planning like how to evacuate the area? No, they, they, we cut no. to this like space antenna research bullshit. Oh yes, and they're talking about the the yeah they're they playing keep receiving the, the same tone, signal over and over. Right, again. they're they're sending it into deep space and they're playing the tone over and over again. Yeah. The do 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 do, and then they're playing it, and they're like, "Huh, this is weird. We just keep getting these. It just keeps saying this. Oh boy, they just keep saying the same thing over and over again. It's the same same numbers over and over and over, and, and we're printing them. We're printing them for some reason. It's even though it's the same numbers over and over again, we got to print them. <laughs> and then the guy who translates said, "Hey, you know what? I used to do maps, and these are coordinates." And they go, "Huh?" And he's like, these are coordinates. These are coordinates of someplace on the planet. And I'm like, quick, get a map. And they're like, we don't have any. We're the government. We're the <laughs> there government. There are no maps. We have How no maps. Let's go steal a globe from somebody. So they steal a globe, and they go down, and it's Wyoming. And they're like, we got to figure out what's going on in Wyoming, because they want us to go to Wyoming, right? Yeah. Then we cut to Jillian at home, right? Yes. Yes. And it seems pretty cool, right? Barry's playing the same tune that we just heard the the Indian people yeah. play, and that well, they're the xylophone. Sitting, yeah, this is on the xylophone, and uh, she's doing whatever single moms did in the 1970s who had their own house. Mm-hmm. I don't know, probably being cool, looking quietly, all hot, <laughs> quietly, quietly masturbating, hoping, to, hoping, hoping the child doesn't notice. <laughs> okay, you went there. I didn't go there. You were like quietly masturbating. <laughs> <laughs> Come on! But then she gets up to take the garbage out and she sees some stuff in the sky that's scary, right? Yep, yep. Oh, great. The aliens are back. Yeah, the aliens are back. And she's like, okay, let's go inside. She goes inside the house. She puts the, She locks one of the doors. She starts shutting all the windows. And Barry's like, he crawls through the doggy door well first he opens the front door and the reason i'm putting this up there is because that front door shot is probably one of steven spielberg's favorite shots that he's ever done it's an image that is stuck with him forever i had a close encounters lunchbox when i was a kid and that image was on the lunchbox Mm -hmm. right oh yeah um, by the way, this is Steven Spielberg proving yes, I can make scary things. Even though I can make, I can make a vacuum cleaner scary if I really want to, motherfuckers. So just watch what you say to me, or I'll ruin some more of your <laughs> Don't memories. Don't fuck with me, okay? But it's pretty obvious that the UFOs are outside of the house and they're trying to get in, right? Yeah. There's one shot where they're coming down the chimney and she has to the close chimney. The flue. It's a cool shot, yeah. 
There's one where they're unscrewing the vents, coming up through the vents. Um, Jillian is having a freak out. She tries to use the phone and is playing the, the five tones again, over and over again. I'm going to sneeze. Excuse me. Um, Gesundheit. Thank you. Um, and she just puts Barry down for one second because her whole kitchen is freaking the fuck out. All the appliances are <laughs> jumping up and down and turning on and off. And Barry immediately goes to the doggy door and tells them to come inside. You Use the door, is what he keeps saying. Use the door. Yeah. She grabs his feet, and something is obviously pulling from the other side. Do we see what's pulling yes. from the other side? No. No. But I am picturing those aliens at the end of the movie pulling from the other side. Yeah, come on, let go of him. We just want to borrow him. As soon as they grab him, the house stops being, starts freaking out. She runs outside, and she sees the spaceships going back up into the clouds, and she gets to scream again, Barry! <laughs> Cut to her being harassed by newspaper people. Mm-hmm. That's because, what you want to do to a, a mother yeah. who's in shock. Yeah, who's the, in shock. The incredible and, abduction of her child by and aliens. And she can't really tell anyone because her story is crazy, and it makes her look crazy. Um, and Roy's there because they're having some sort of military fucking disinformation bullshit. Some black bag fucking horse shit covering up <laughs> so, UFOs. Wow. You, you turned into Agent Mulder there for some black bag fucking horse Mulder shit. would never get that angry. <laughs> no, no, he's, too, he's way too laconic for that. He's too stoned. <laughs> you just throw some Scully, what this porno is, at is some black bag fucking horse shit. <laughs> anyway, uh, he sees her. She says they took him. And he's there with his wife. And then they sit at this big, long table, and the military lies to their faces, right? Yep. They're like, look, there's no such thing as UFOs. God's number one. God never said anything about aliens. Why are you going against God? We're a God-fearing nation. Are you trying to bring on God's wrath by believing in aliens? Shut up! (laughs) And then the old hillbilly doesn't... God lifts his protection. That's it. It's over. (laughs) We're dead. We made a bargain. <laughs> George Washington shook hands with Jesus in 1776. <laughs> and if we break that pact, it's all over for our nation. <laughs> the old man, the old hillbilly man, whatever he was, he doesn't make matters worse by telling everyone no. that he saw Bigfoot. Oh, great. Thanks, Thanks Pap. Undermining the argument. <laughs> I had sex with that had, had sex with that Bigfoot and that's why okay. all my children are weird. You haven't noticed that? Their heads are too small okay, for their bodies. Sit down. Okay, sit down, Pappy. All right. I have to throw raw meat into their room, otherwise they get ornery. <laughs> the only things that'll calm them down raw meat are the Dukes of Hazard. Okay. Can we is that is nobody's gonna cut him off? Okay. I fucked a merman. Didn't know at the time. <laughs> I fucked a merman. <laughs> All the cryptids you'll fuck. But like they say, it's it's always pink in the depths. <laughs> <sighs> Are you done? Are you done? Hmm? What? I was thinking about the merman. What? <laughs> Gave the abominable snowman a hand job once. <laughs> okay. Cool. Just to keep warm, you understand. <laughs> just, just to keep warm. <laughs> <laughs> Huh. 
dislodged a boat anchor. <laughs> I can't do it. I dislodged a boat anchor from the Loch Ness monster's asshole. I did. <laughs> anyway, that doesn't go well. No. Right? And Roy's going a little batty. He's he has a little bit of a freak out. I think it's fair right. to call it that. We do cut away to the the government trying to figure out how they can black bag uh, do a black bag operation to scare everyone away from a place called Devil's Tower, and they've got to clear three hundred square miles. And they're right. like, "Well, what can we do? What can we do to scare everyone to everybody away?" And they're like, "A disease, a flash flood." Um, anthrax. Anth- anth- anthrax. The band? No, the, d- the disease? <laughs> I don't think the band exists yet. Do I mean, they exist in 77? I don't think so. No, they don't appear until the 80s in Los Angeles. We're talking about Wyoming right now. we got to scare farmers away. They should have just... What's the f- band from Wyoming? I don't know. <laughs> it doesn't have to be a band. <laughs> We could get the Charlie Daniels band. That would be a draw. Wouldn't more people want to be there? Well, we could tell them that they're radioactive mutants now, and no one wants to get torn apart by radioactive mutant Charlie Daniels band, right? I mean, I think that's a universal fear. Everybody, no matter where you're from, would be would be scared of that. You would think. You would think. John, just don't put your own fears up to try to scare away the farmers. I understand that you have a, a deep fear of a... A living, dead Charlie Daniels band, but <laughs> zombie it's, Charlie, it's radioactive the, zombie Charlie Daniels band. I, I, I volunteer women with mouths instead of nipples. God damn it! Okay, we're not talking about our own internalized fears Just here. Stop, stop <laughs> voicing your own internalized fears. I picture a giant foot stepping on me. Okay, we're done. We're done. We're going. We're going with disease or gas or something. You guys are worthless. <laughs> I can't believe the government put money into your think tank. <laughs> if you think about it, a giant foot is universal, for we were all babies once, and we must have been scared of being stepped on. I say we construct a giant foot and float it in space. <laughs> You're fired. We tell them, look out, the space foot is coming, and it's going to land in that part in, in Wyoming. It's doable. <laughs> Everybody's going to know what we mean. It's a carnal fear. It's instinctive. <laughs> Larry, why is this just a picture of your wife? She, she doesn't approve of me. Look at <laughs> she it. She scares me, Nick. She scares me a lot. I let her cook my food. <laughs> I think she's trying to poison me. But not all at once. Just a little bit at a time. She read it in a book. Women used to do that in the 19th century. That's why I'm impotent. (laughs) It's that heavy metal poisoning she's got me on. No matter how much I cry while I masturbate, it still won't work. (laughs) You can't cry out mercury. I'm as flaccid as a boned fish. (laughs) Is that why there's a picture here for suggestion number 93 of a boned fish? (laughs) (laughs) meanwhile while the worst think tank in the united states is trying to figure out how to scare farmers they're disguising everything right they're loading all their research equipment into trucks and putting like baskin robbins and piggly wiggly and some other yeah coke and that's probably the greatest use i don't even i don't think it was um, product placement i don't think they paid for 
you know, they approached Baskin Robbins and said, "Yeah, we want to under we want a shady government organization to haul stuff with your logo on the outside of it. Is it okay if we you pay us for that privilege? <laughs> Can we get some money for that?" <laughs> <laughs> we come back to Roy, and Roy, I can't remember how this works. He oh this this scene, it's this scene. Yeah, he starts throwing shit through the window. No. This family has sat down for dinner. Oh, that's right. As near yes. as I can tell, dinner consists of baked potatoes and the biggest bowl of mashed potatoes ever. It's like hey. Terry Gar started making them and couldn't stop. You can't beat a good potato. You get you, it's versatile. You get you can bake it, you can fry it, you can definitely mash it. That's right. And uh, the kids are all complaining because they're kids. And uh, one of the kids just shoves the mashed potato towards Roy. Roy puts a dollop of mashed potatoes on his plate. And then he loads his whole plate full of mashed potatoes and starts sculpting it. Despite the fact that his oldest son, who's old enough to know that something is significantly wrong with his parents' marriage and with his life in general, starts to weep openly at the table while staring at his father. (laughs) Yes. Roy says... I know that you noticed that there's something strange going on, but uh, everything's fine. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not lying to your face. Uh, all I can tell you is this pile of mashed potatoes means something. It's important. It's important. M- more important than you. Uh-huh. Then we see Rush outside in the only scene that I wish never appeared in any of the versions where he starts screaming up into the sky, what does it mean? It's yeah. ridiculous. A little it, over the top. It's a little over ADR'd, and it's just dumb. Um, he goes back in the house, and he falls asleep at his work table where he's making a mountain out of clay. Fuck yeah. model trains. He's now doing this. His daughter wakes him up with some cartoons, with one of the best cartoons ever made, Duck Dodgers in the 24th and a half century. Oh, Yes. She says, are you going to yell at me? Which is in reference to a cutscene. <laughs> <laughs> and um, he says no. And he's turned a new leaf, hasn't he, Steve? Yeah, he. Even, I think he, this is the, okay, yeah, this is the scene I remember now. Where he, he's, uh, he's getting rid of all the uh, alien stuff. And he That's says right. to his wife, he says, everything's going to be okay. Things are going back to the to way normal. they were before. He's taken down his models of the Enterprise. I don't know why. I don't know he why has... that has anything to do with anything, but yeah, yeah. sure. Get, ri- get rid of he's... all the space shit. <laughs> he's taken down all the articles. He's throwing everything away, and he's going to throw away this little mountain that he's created out of clay. And he tries to pull it off, and the, only the top comes off, huh, Steve? That's weird how it happened just like that. Yeah. And then he stares at it, and he's like, oh, God, something <laughs> significant has happened. Things are definitely not going back to normal. And no, definitely things have been turned up to eleven kids. He started. He goes outside. It's the wife slept in the boys' room. If you had noticed, she was asleep mm-hmm. on their floor. And if you've seen their floor, Jesus, I hope she had shots. She because... was tired. <laughs> <laughs> but Royce got a new project, huh, Steve? Oh my God! Yes. Yeah. So he opens a, a window into the kitchen, and he's 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 maniacally shoveling dirt and plants and plants and everything he can get his hands on out of the yard, bricks into the house through yeah. the window. Mm-hmm. 
There's a um, shot where he's filled the wheelbarrow full of dirt, and yeah. the kids come outside and ask him what he's doing. And the first kid that walks up, and this every ever since I've seen this in the 1970s, it terrifies me, even though I know it doesn't happen. The kid actor puts his hands in the dirt in the wheelbarrow, and Dustin Hoffman slams the shovel into the same dirt that the kid oh, has yeah. his hands in. And I'm like, okay, did this kid lose finger shooting this shot? Yeah. Because he, he comes... almost cut his hands off with that <laughs> shovel. So out of the three kids, the little girl is too dumb to notice anything. The middle kid is too dumb to notice anything and wants to help his father. The oldest kid is done. The <laughs> oldest kid is finished. He's like, fuck dad. He's gone crazy. Anyway, he steals chicken wire because the neighbor lady keeps geese. Yeah. And he's just throwing everything in there. Terry Gar's done. And she's like, grabs the kids, hustles them off into the station wagon. He walks up and asks where she's going. She says, to my sisters. He says, but you're not dressed. And <laughs> she says, bye bye, psycho. <laughs> And what he says is, you're not dressed. That's crazy. Yeah. And then she takes and she off. she gives him a look like, okay. <laughs> she try, He tries to stop her by jumping on the car hood. She no care. That doesn't she, work. Yeah. Dustin Hoffman does his own dangerous stunt by falling off the car the car hood when uh, she pulls forward. Mm-hmm. Um, the entire neighborhood is out to watch because that's what you did in the 70s. Yeah. You went outside and watched neighbors fight, especially you when it was on the front yard. You wanted to see your neighbors' lives fall apart. It was so great when they'd fight on the front yard. I yeah. bet they still do it today, but not all the neighbors step outside to watch. <laughs> no, you stay you stay inside and you sh- and you film it with your phone through the window. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then he makes a model of what he saw before, which is kind of like this great big kind of mountain with no top on it. Yep. In the living, in the living, or where in the living room or the kitchen or whatever that room is, he, yeah, it's like taking up the whole room, like right. floor to ceiling. And uh, he gets a telephone call, and a news story comes on the TV that's on, and this is the most frustrating thing in this entire movie, Steve. It is. Yes. Now a lot of people think I'm going to say, well, he's not looking at the TV, which is showing Devil's Tower, where they're staging that fake event where all the people might die, right. and he's not looking at it because he's on the phone, right? <clears throat> You might think that's the most frustrating part. No. The most frustrating part for me is is that while we are all engaged in making sure that he sees Devil's Tower because he's just built a giant one in his living room, what is he doing on the phone, Steve? Uh, he's, he's arguing with his wife, right? His marriage is ending. Yeah. Because she's obviously talking about divorce. Yeah. She obviously does not want to talk to him much further, and it's obviously upset him, right? Mm-hmm. Where finally he says, don't hang up the phone, and it's obviously does. But it's okay, because then he sees Devil Tower on the TV, and he makes a connection between what he made, and he's like, finally, I still don't know anything, but at least I have a name to the thing that I've been obsessing about all this time. We cut to Jillian, who is somewhere where she's been painting the same thing. Yeah. And she sees it on TV, and she's happy. And um, then we cut to him driving to Wyoming in the most dangerous way possible. (laughs) See, guys, before we had phones that we could program directions into, we had these big pieces of paper called maps. (laughs) You had to unfold it and look at it. 
And then you could never fold it back the correct way again. No. And they got worn out, and there were holes in them. And usually those holes were, like, over major cities where you needed to know yeah. the names of freeways and stuff. Anyway, he almost gets into a million car accidents. And and then my dogs freak out. They <laughs> oh, freak no, the out. the aliens are coming to your house. Because the aliens are coming to my house. <laughs> They're going for the dogs first. Good. <laughs> Good. Let me know how they taste after you're done, aliens. <clears throat> Anyway, um, he goes to a town where everyone's having a freakout because apparently they said some sort of experimental gas has been released and it's going to kill everybody and everything. Right. And there are hucksters there selling birds that are saying, if your birds die, you have an hour. And they're also selling like gas masks and they're hurting everybody onto trains and on top of trains, and Roy tries to get through the town to get to the monument, but there's Mr. Bad Soldier Man, played by yep. Carl Weathers, and he's like, where are you going, honky? I wish he'd said it. <laughs> he didn't say it. I wish he'd No, he honky. doesn't, but I could hear him say it in that Carl Weathers voice. He's like, where'd you go, cracker? Where are you and he's going, like, honky? I want to go, I want I, I know somebody, I'm lying. And he's like, I know you're lying. You know we're gonna shoot looters, and he's like, "I'm not gonna, I'm not doing. Okay, bye bye. I'm leaving. <laughs> bye bye. Bye. Thank you so much for not killing me. I'm not even. I don't want to go over there. It's crazy." And so he picks up some birds, and he picks up two gas masks, doesn't he? Because yeah. he's loading them into the car, and I'm always like, "Why two gas masks?" You never know. But while he's loading them into the car, he hears. He hears Barry. No, he hears. <laughs> it's the call of the wild Jillian. <laughs> he goes to the train station and he sees her getting hustled on board by a couple of SS officers. And he's yeah. like, no. And he runs up and he grabs her and they hug. And then they get in the car and they're like, we're going to have to go back. We're going to back roads it in this station wagon. Yeah. He drives through a f- bunch of farmer's fields to get around the roadblocks. That's right. And, uh, they get out of the car and they climb up a little hill and they see Devil's Tower and they're like, oh, it's real. Something, something. I don't know what, but something. And they keep driving and then they run afoul of some guys in white hazmat suits. Yeah. And they're they, like, they, yeah, they run into another roadblock and they yeah, get, yeah. What you, yeah. And then they kill their birds. <laughs> With their bare hands. They reach <laughs> yeah, in the cage they just and they just their little necks. Throw them on the ground and stomp on them. Yeah, That's right, boys. Stomp birds. away. <laughs> Did I think of those turtle doves? <laughs> they load them into separate vans, and then uh, Roy gets interviewed by uh, Lacombe and uh, and his interpreter pal. Yeah, Laughlin. Yeah, the Laughlin. And they ask him a bunch of questions, right? Yeah. Like, why did you come here? Didn't you know you're gonna die? Uh, <laughs> You, Have you, you had an a close artist? encounter recently? Yeah. Did you pick your feet in Poughkeepsie? <laughs> <laughs> I waited until you drank. I didn't mean to, but I waited. Oh, I love I'm it. so sorry. You pick your feet? <laughs> Did you pick your feet in Poughkeepsie? I would love to hear it translated from French. <laughs> I'm going to get you for the drugs, and I'm going to nail you for picking your feet in Poughkeepsie. <laughs> anyway, they're like, why'd you come here? And he's like, I don't know. I just, I did, there's something important, and I know that there's nothing wrong with the air. And you guys suck. And where's Jillian? I abandoned my family for this, so it better be worth it. If it's just some sort of rinky dink clown show someplace, I'm going to be very disappointed. It has to be something life changing. <laughs> this had better be big, is what I'm saying. 
And they load Roy into a helicopter where Jillian and a bunch of old people and a bunch of other people are all sitting in there. And uh, Lacombe says five minutes and he goes talks to Mr. General Guy. And Mr. General Guy is like, what do you want? See all the money we've spent on this? This better be good. Whatever's happening on the other side of the mountain, it better be so awesome. I, it better be a spaceship full of, full of space hookers giving free blowjobs. What it better be, because we've spent so much money and we've gassed animals to sleep. And he's like, We're Just like one invested more. in this now. You know this, right? <laughs> You shouldn't have promised the soldiers space hookers if they're not going to be any. <laughs> like, space hookers, how does that even come out I of your mouth? What are you doing? I am positive that the space hookers will be there. Almost positive? <laughs> eh, like 75%. 75% space hookers, that's not good. That's maybe, not good. Uh, maybe a space uh, burlesque dancer. <laughs> it's much more artistic. That's so dirty, know. huh? You get to see a little leg, drink a little beer. <laughs> well, by 75%, do you mean that they could only service about 75% of us? And that'll be 25%? Because I'm okay with that. We have a lot of low-ranking people who don't deserve space hooker sex. That's... <laughs> like, the janitor ain't getting one. <laughs> he's not getting one. I don't care. <laughs> anyway, he's there to beg, please... Let these crazy people who showed up and don't know what's anything from anything, please let them stay so they can see the quote-unquote space hooker. <laughs> <laughs> and dude's like, no, fuck them. Fuck them. And Lacombe is like, they belong here more than we. Which was a joke on set. Because Francois Lacombe legitimately could not speak English. Right. And they created a t-shirt that says... They belong here in Mozambique. Because <laughs> that's what they kept thinking he was saying. Anyway, Roy's like, there's nothing wrong with the air. Here, watch. And he takes off his gas mask. And his head swells three times its size and explodes <laughs> his brains all over them. The end. End of movie. <laughs> no, it turns out the air's fine. Jillian takes off hers. And another good dude named Larry, Larry takes off his. And he's like, who's up for going? And more than just the three of them raise their hands. If you notice, I never noticed this before. Several of the people inside of the helicopter want to go. And in this version, in the original version, when they escape, there's several people that want to leave as well, but only three of them manage to get past the the hazmat guys. Mm -hmm. I just thought for a long time, until this viewing, and I think it's because it's recut in the special edition and the ultimate edition, it literally just looks like those are the only three guys who are willing to go, but... The other people look like they, but they got caught. And then they run through a military base filled with armed guards and no one shoots at them or stops them. The most they get is, hey, as they run through this <laughs> oh, super top secret base. And, you know, he sees them running uh, Lacombe and he's like, aha, told you they do belong here in Mozambique. Stop saying Mozambique. <laughs> what did I say? They belong here. Mozambique. You're doing it on purpose. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> they run into the mountains. And uh, the, the the army guys are gonna coming for them. And they can't find them. And then so army guy says, look, we're, look, 
if they show up, that's three more people. That cuts into our percentage of space hookers, okay? Yeah, we don't need to be dividing the space hookers. We're not even sure how many we're going to get in the first place. Exactly. And none of us are sharing. That's gross. So we're just going to dispatch the helicopter, and they're going to spray Easy 4. And he's like, Easy 4? And he's like, it's, you know, it's like Spanish fly for aliens. Easy (laughs) 4, get it? Because it makes them easy. You know, we, we developed it in the dark, blind. We have no idea. It could kill the aliens. But it does put humans to sleep. And they're like, okay. That's what they've been spraying. So now the helicopter comes. Larry's there. Don't get used to him. Because Larry gets gassed and he falls asleep. And then they climb up the side of the mountain. They get to the other side just before the helicopter is almost on him with the gas. Because that's how gas works. Yep. And it's so, got to be right next to you. Someone has to literally jump off the helicopter and spray you in the face with a with a kitchen sprayer for you to fall asleep. <laughs> they get they get over to the other side and they see what Steve it's like a landing area. Yeah, it's like a big open area and there's a bunch of people down there and there's like equipment and trucks and stuff and there's like a you can see there's like runway lights leading off into the and a the runway. Dark. Despite the fact that everything that they've been told these these ships don't land that way. Yeah. Well, if they need a runway, they've got one. Well, great. That's great. I'm glad that they put the runway up. And there's tons of people, scientists, people, mm-hmm. and other scientists, and military people, and a keyboard player that got yanked out of out of his high school class. He looks like he's 16 years old. And they're yeah. like, hey, um, how would you like to talk to aliens for one night? We'll get you beer. We'll get you weed. Can you play That'll five cool. notes on a fucking piano? You're high. We'll get you enough beer and weed so that you can have a prom date. How about that, nerd? <laughs> you music nerd. All right. Well, I think my ELO cover band will probably not like it, but okay, cool. I'll be cool. <laughs> anyway, they get ready. They lower the light. They stay in the... Roy and Jillian stay in the rocks. And they're going to just watch, right? Right. And they see some light show shit where they're flying way up in the air. And then three of the spaceships come down and land in that area. And they're like, do, 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 do. And they're like, fuck it, what? (laughs) I know we gave it to you, but fuck you. I don't know what you're trying to say to me right now. And they keep playing the tone over and over again. And then the three little ships go boom, 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 boom. And then they fly off. And everyone dumb goes, yay, that was great. We, what? (laughs) (laughs) We did all of this just for that? So that we could do that back of two, three little spaceships? That's all we got? (laughs) Good job, everybody. Way to go! The colonel's like, he's he already is naked from the waist down, and he's got arrows pointing. They understand arrows, right? He's got arrows pointing towards <laughs> towards his junk, and he's like, "Wait, that's everything that we got? That's it?" And they're all congratulating each other. But then all the spaceships show up, right, Steve? Oh yeah, they all the spaceships show up. There's some clouds, and they come out of the clouds, and they're all flying all over the place, and people are having a freak out. And Roy wants to go down there and get a closer look, but Jillian doesn't want to because she still has my children got kidnapped by aliens trauma, right? Right, yeah. And she's like, Barry's not down there. Yeah. She's going to move further back. He's going to go down there. No one's going to give a shit when they see him anyway because they're all staring at the alien spacecrafts and shit, Exactly. It's the perfect time. It's perfect. Um, And then all of those ships eventually go away, and they're like, wow, okay, great. 
That was better. <laughs> Colonel's <laughs> crying in a corner of a room, still half naked. <laughs> what am I special, Gary? Since I was 12, I read weird science. I wanted <laughs> That French guy should not have promised space hookers. He did not know there were going to be space hookers. All of the years that I've been making fake alien vaginas out of this cooked lasagna noodles, it all goes to waste. You broke my heart. I was going to work that alien vagina so good. Oh, God. They give us all the technology. (laughs) But then what happens, Steve? Oh, then the mothership shows up. And possibly rising up from the ground. <laughs> yeah, from the bowels of the earth. Where there are other bases, by the way. The ship flies over and it's gigantic, huge. And then it flips over onto its belly and lowers its butt down towards where the scientists are. And it's it's got lots of lights on it and it's real pretty. And they start playing the tones at it. And again, it's like, what? Like, pretending like we didn't send you the tone. Is like, We're not answering that, but eventually it does answer, right? <laughs> yeah, it, it takes a few tries, but eventually it, gets, it, it plays, they, they play the space tuba. Yeah, that's what they were waiting for. They're like, okay, where's Grisnak and his space tuba? He's in the toilet again. He Just didn't make something be, up. Just play some more shit until he gets back. Beam up Taco Bell up to the ship again, did he? Yes. <laughs> He's been shitting ever since. Well, hurry up, because they're getting impatient. We have all these space hookers lined up. They're waiting for them. <laughs> Release the space hookers. <laughs> uh, but eventually, the kid the, the kid with the Casio keyboard mm-hmm. and the spaceship start talking, and it gets really, they just, you know, they're playing back and forth, and they're like, oh, wow, they're really communicating. And everyone's like, oh, this is cool. And then um, it slows down a little bit. And then it op- the, the spaceship opens up. Yeah. And what comes out? People comes out. <laughs> People comes the walking Colonel, out. And it turns out that they're... still off, closes the door on one of the porta potty <laughs> <laughs> Okay. He's got a gun out. <laughs> Um, people come out. What kind of people, Steve? Uh, the, well, a, a whole bunch of people come out eventually, but the first group, it's the pilots from uh, the Lost Flight. Oh, that's right, yeah. Yeah. And there, no mention is made of how in the hell they're going to explain this. Probably because they're shooting them all in the head, Steve. Let's face it, it's the government. <laughs> yeah, exactly. What are they going to do? Introduce them to their elderly wives and their grown children? Yeah. They don't seem all there, either. Welcome back to society. They're all kind of... They all have this fixed gaze as they're coming out of the spaceship. Right? Yeah, they look they're a not, little dazed, yeah. They're not good. Something happened. <laughs> <laughs> Someone wanted to know all of their anatomy, if you catch my drift. Uh, we, I think we... I mean, you know. I think, yeah. I, I think several decades of UFO lore can give us a decent idea of what probably happened. <laughs> Anyway, who's who's with this group of people coming out? Uh, well, uh, eventually we see Barry is there. Yeah. Yeah. And Mom comes down and she grabs Barry and Barry's like, they're going away. And he seems sad, right? Yeah. Because despite the fact that we've been building up to scary aliens and a scary U.S. government, 
neither one of them are actually scary. <laughs> no, as it turns out, they're not scary at all. This is, you know, a, like a piece. They want to have a peaceful introduction to each other, right? And so she takes Barry up into the rocks, punishes him for running away. <laughs> <laughs> well, you gotta. He's got it. She's like, go cut me a switch, boy. And he's like, oh, mommy. And anyway, while she's spanking him, um, Neary walks all the way up to the spaceship. Now, this yep. huge fight, this huge, you know, he's an intruder. No one shoots him. No one wrestles him to the ground. Nothing no. like that happens. Lacombe comes up and he says, I am the you. And then he... So there's been this group of people in red pajamas that we haven't mentioned yet. Right. They all kind of look like Barbie dolls. That like You get the NASA program Barbie doll from the 1970s that's wearing a red jumpsuit. That's what they're kind of dressed like. Meanwhile, I have to go kick my dog into the next <laughs> county because she's decided now is the time to bark. Moxie, come here. <clears throat> Well, I called one dog and the other one showed up. Isn't that great? <laughs> Our dog's great. <laughs> Do you need something? <laughs> anyway, there's this group of creepy guys, right? Yeah. And Roy's going to join them, right? Yeah. He gets his own jumpsuit that he they happen to have around. He gets a jumpsuit, absolutely. That fits him. Sure. And, uh, they had an he's extra. He's going to join. It's like they're going to go volunteer to live with the aliens, I guess. Um, meanwhile, the aliens show up. And I have fun. Hey, Steve, why do you think there are so many different kinds of aliens in this movie? Because there's like three different aliens. There's creepy, please don't make me look at that again, spider alien that comes out at the very beginning. (laughs) The, oh, this is going bad, it's going to start eating people kind of alien. That's the first one. He's like translucent and weird. But then we get the little baby aliens, right? Baby aliens. Oh, yeah, just little. They're like three feet tall, yeah. Yeah. And they all just kind of stand around. And um, then Roy, who has forgotten the face of his crying eldest son, because he's not thinking about his family anymore, is he, Steve? No, not at all. No, they're not completely out of his mind. Not even a little bit. <laughs> he, uh, he, they come out and they pick him and he goes up into the spaceship. He mm-hmm. walks up into the spaceship. And then another alien comes up and is, like, looking at Lacombe. And Lacombe does the hand signal thing. Yeah. And smiles. And then the alien does the hand signal thing and then smiles. And then they look at each other. And then it walks back into the ship. And the ship closes up. And the ship flies up into the air. The end. Barry says bye. Yeah, Barry says bye. And they went, oh yeah, I forgot. And this huge cyber tentacle comes out, grabs Barry around the neck and sucks him up, deposits him <laughs> to a gel pool full of other little berries. <laughs> <laughs> and leaves one sad, multi-tentacled, purple, pulsating space prostitute. <laughs> <laughs> Smoking a cigarette, going, Who's feist? <laughs> Gentlemen, behold your space hooker. <laughs> As promised, eh? It's worth it. Uh, <laughs> how much? 45 billion? Holy shit. You <laughs> Americans are stupid. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> Grabs the hooker, jumps on a hoverboard, and flies away. Ha ha! It worked! <laughs> Au revoir, suckers! 
The end, Steve. The end. The, the end. The end. end. Steve. Yes. How do you feel about this classic, 1977? And boy, oh boy, Steve, I looked at 1977. Good God, what a year in movies! It was a hell of a year, wasn't it? It's amazing what came out in the same year. Yeah. The reason I thought about it was because when I saw Star Wars in May, mm-hmm. guess what? Was, guess what? The preview for Star Wars was was it was it Close Encounters? It was Close Encounters of the Third Kind. <laughs> That's quite. And a the one, preview was terrifying. The preview is going down that road that doesn't appear in the movie with the light on the other side of it. It's on all the posters. Mm, yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's just doing that and, and just text. And it explained what the Close Encounters were at Close Encounters of the First Kind. Sighting. And then you go down the line, Close Encounters of the Second Kind. Um, I can't remember. Something. Physical. Physical. Physical evidence. Yeah, physical evidence. Close Encounters of the Third Type. Kind. Hand jobs. And then it just, bang. <laughs> it was great. It was a great year to be, be a kid and have movies. It was really great. <laughs> Steve, how do you feel about this movie that was really great, 1977? <laughs> I um I like it, so mm-hmm. there's that. Um, I uh, I I think Close Encounters is a really good example, maybe even the best example of what makes Steven Spielberg the filmmaker that he is, and mm. why his films have been so popular and so enduring. I, I don't think it's his best movie, but it might be the best example of 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 his voice as a filmmaker um because for all of spielberg's shortcomings and excesses as as a filmmaker he is a director that leads with his heart yeah and and sometimes he leans too sentimental or too nostalgic for sure uh or too maudlin but Unlike a lot of other filmmakers, and especially some of the more prominent directors of the last 20, 25 years or so, uh, he isn't cynical, especially in this early part of his career. It's been, in, no. you know, the first 10, 15, 20 years of his, he's, he, he's, he's almost painfully earnest uh, yeah. with his work. And so what you have in Close Encounters is throughout the movie, um, He's not try. There are some things that are scary. There are some scary images. There's some of the buildup, you know, before we figure out exactly what's going on. There's, you know, some sort of scary stuff, but you don't get the impression that he's trying to shock you, or or to confuse you, or 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 to impress you. And that last one is really important because so much of the modern blockbuster movie style is centered on trying to impress the audience. And in Close Encounters, I don't think Spielberg is trying to impress us. He's trying to elicit from us a sense of wonder. Um, He's trying to draw us into a mystery. And that's a, a subtler and gentler thing than the way a lot of movies do it today, where they just they show you these things that are just supposed to blow your mind. Um, and impress you and knock you back in your seat. And Spielberg isn't doing that in Close Encounters. He's doing something sort of similar, but 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 different in a really important way. Um, look at how different this movie is from virtually every other alien invasion movie ever made. <laughs> even to this day, even 40 years after this movie, it's still the only one I can think of where, as, as you pointed out a few minutes ago, neither the aliens nor the government turns out to be a threat. Uh-huh. Um, even in E.T., like the government is depicted as threatening. In Close Encounters, there are ultimately no villains. Like the, the aliens and the government officials that we see are just trying to communicate. And 
while you can construe some of what the aliens do as as threatening or as as harmful um you can ultimately chalk that up to lack of communication you know like they and yes they they do take people like the aliens do take people and not bring them back for decades in the case of the pilots um but they bring them back and everybody's fine they haven't even aged like everybody they 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 bring back what they take and it's safe you know and even barry who they just picked up a few days before <laughs> like they drop yeah. him back off i guess they decided they didn't want kids um <laughs> you know they dropped him right back off and he was fine so it's a nice contrast to the way that these things are usually depicted in movies where it's it's either the aliens or the government or, or both that are these sinister forces um here the climax is a bunch of scientists and an alien mothership playing music together uh-huh. like that's what the movie builds up to and then we also get a group of missing abductees being returned and another group of humans willingly leaving with the aliens and and it's treated as this very positive wondrous thing like you know um uh francois truffaut's character says to richard dreyfus you know i envy you like it's just seen as a good thing that these that the humans are leaving with the aliens they want to go um and so i i don't know how realistic of a message it is i um but it's it's nice to see a major mainstream movie that shows us things like aliens coming to the earth like advancing technology and it uses those elements to offer people hope instead of fear to say that this isn't the future isn't necessarily something that you need to be afraid of the fact that there may be this broader universe out there where there are these other civilizations that are watching us and coming to visit us perhaps you know um that that isn't necessarily something you need to be afraid of Uh um now most of the really really good stuff in the movie doesn't happen until about the last half hour uh so leading up to that there are some there are some bits when i was watching it this time when i felt we're just a little dry just a little bit like all right come on let's just get you know let's get let's get the show on the road um the uh like and, and also like i mean i think the acting is really good but really none of the characters really stand out to me like i mean i think richard dreyfus does a really good job at investing roy with some character um, but like, I can't really honestly say that I care that much about what happens to him. I mean, and maybe part of that is that there's not a lot of suspense. Like you never really get the sense that Roy isn't going to be okay. It's just not uh-huh. that kind of a movie. Um, you know, uh, a lot of people, including Spielberg himself have talked about the fact that Roy leaves his wife and kids, doesn't even say yeah. goodbye, like just, you know, gets on the alien ship and it flies away. And, you know, uh-huh. Spielberg himself has said that if he made the movie, he made the movie before he had kids. And now if he did it, he would have Roy make a different choice. Um, I don't blame him. His family seems awful. Uh, <laughs> oh. <laughs> like I, th- I, I think he made, I think he made a completely rational choice. Uh-huh. Um, but, uh, but the thing is, is that even during those parts of the movie leading up to that final half hour, that I think are maybe a little bit less interesting. There are still little things to appreciate. Like I really, I like how um, the Neary's house looks like a real house that real people uh-huh. live in. You know, you talked about how 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 messy it is. It looks like a house where four kids live, right? Yep. It looks like a real person's house. Um, I like how authentic a lot of the interactions between the parents and the kids are. Um, and I really like seeing Francois Truffaut in this movie. I mean, he is, <laughs> he is one of the greatest filmmakers 
to ever live, one of the most, if not the most important filmmaker in the French New Wave. Um, he uh, just a legend, one of Spielberg's heroes, and uh, and and this is the only time that he ever acted in a movie that he did not direct. Um, mm -hmm. So that's that's really cool. And yeah, he you know he, he mostly speaks French, and he did. There were a lot of little sort of shortcuts that he had to take to get his lines right. Like he did the he did the thing where sometimes if he was talking to another person for the reverse shot, the actor he was talking to would have his lines like on a card on their chest, so he could just read the line and he wouldn't have to you know memorize. I mean, there were there were little cheats like that that they had to do to get Truffaut because he had trouble memorizing his lines and he had trouble with English if he had to speak English, and you know, but it. it, it they got a performance out of him. He has some really... I think you can tell that he's not really an actor, but... In a couple of shots, yeah. But, you know, and he even... He said that to Spielberg. He said, he said, you know, I'm not an actor. I can pretty much only play myself. And Spielberg said, no problem. Right. Uh, you know, and, and he and he actually has some nice moments. I think the moment where he says goodbye to, to Roy, where he says, I envy you, Mr. Neary, I think that's a nice moment. Um, mm -hmm. I think the moment where him and the alien have the little exchange of sign language, that works really well, too. Like, you can, that feels earned, you know, for that character um, and for that point in the film. So he, he, he has some nice moments that, that work really well. So um, I appreciate the message of the movie. I appreciate that it offers us a really wonderful showcase for Spielberg's positive outlook and for his knack of of evoking wonder, I think the special effects still hold up really well. Like when you mentioned oh, way back God at the yeah. way back at the beginning when you said like there were some shots that Spielberg wished he had done differently or you know like there, there's not a shot I can think of in the movie that that looks unfinished. Mm -hmm. I mean the special effects really hold up terrifically today, and I, I really really like them a lot. Um, the place where Barry nearly gets hit by a car is very setty. That's yeah, about it. it does feel yeah yeah but i mean i don't really mind that and i'm not it's not it certainly doesn't take me out of the movie no you know um but yes yeah, so, and it's it's a feel-good movie and it makes me feel good when i watch it when the movie's yeah. over i'm glad that i watched it so uh yeah there you go recommended good movie great movie I think I like this movie a little bit more than Steve. There's no draggy parts. Don't listen to him. I'm just <laughs> um, I so Steve. As far as I'm concerned, Steven Spielberg has made two truly great movies: Jaws and this movie. <laughs> While I love Indiana Jones. Um, that movie was setting out to do something completely different. That was an adventure film, and that's all it needed to be, and that's all it was. Adventure movies. You yeah. made three of them, and they're very, very good. But Jaws and this movie are art. They are a clear... It's, it's very obvious what was important to Steven Spielberg at the time that he made Close Encounters of the Third Kind. It speaks very much as to the type of person he was in the 1970s when he made Close Encounters. Um, because he believed in this shit. He believed in that aliens had shown up. He believed in UFOs. He believed in all this stuff. But in the highly cynical, gritty, <laughs> mostly I'll, I'll stick with cynical, 1970s, he made a movie to get people to wonder and hope. And it made a billion dollars for us today. It made a huge, it made a sack full of cash. It was a success, you might say. It was a success. Which means that maybe the 1970s weren't nearly as cynical and awful as people remember it to be. 
Um, because movies like this, and there's another movie that shows hope, and that's Superman, which also made a shit zillion dollars when it came out, that ran counter to the culture at the time. And this movie runs counter to the culture of the time. Yes, he could have made a movie that was like the when the aliens show up, they just come out with their laser guns and kill everybody there, and it's the beginning of an awful movie. What I like about this, what I like about the movie, number one, the intent of the aliens and the government are ambiguous until that very last half hour, mm-hmm. right? Up until that point, we don't know what the government is planning. They are, they have driving military music whenever there's music present we don't know what their end goal is is it let's get out the nets and capture all the aliens we can we can (laughs) we can grab we don't know if it's this is the prelude to war we're defending ourselves we don't know what those people in the red suits are right we don't know any of that shit as far as the aliens are concerned we have no idea what they're doing why they're doing it but boy they're scary when they come when they come for Barry, they're not fucking around. <laughs> and because we don't know what their intent is, that scene is very scary. Especially if you have a kid about that age and you're trying to protect them from something that you have no way she's a Neanderthal with a stick. There is no way she's gonna be able to keep keep her kid from being abducted. And that also plays into some of the stories that people were telling about UFOs, which kind of runs counter to some of the stories that people were telling. But what I like about it is, is that what he's exploiting is the fear of the unknown, mm-hmm. right? We don't know what these creatures are, what their, what, uh, you know, what their mindset is. Are they here for peace? Do they give a shit about us? Are they eating us? Is <laughs> Barry a sandwich now? We right. don't know. And that's the fear of the unknown. And what he does is he says, it's cool, everybody, it's cool. Everybody, we're all, we're all cool. We're all a bunch of happy Fonzies right now. The aliens are happy Fonzies and we're happy Fonzies. We're all cool. Okay? This is just a, hey, how are you? Here's some of our people. <laughs> <laughs> Enjoy. Enjoy. Original ending of this, that alien that comes out and does the hand gesture states... It's a, it's a true exchange. Yeah. Alien stays, the people leave. Um, I don't know why he changed his mind, um, but this is, a f- this is a film where he used all of his filmmaking power to tell a really great suspense in certain, in certain areas where the aliens can feel malevolent, but all of that malevolence is from the fact that we don't know what they are, mm-hmm. right? We don't know who they are. Same thing with the government. We don't know what they're up to. We know they're up to shenanigans. But <laughs> Francois Lacombe is so nice. But he's French. So that's true. Yeah. He is French. You can't tell. It can go either way. <laughs> exactly. You said it had draggy parts. I would say that the very first time you ever watch this, there aren't any. There are no draggy parts the first time you watch this. There may be draggy parts when you've seen it 25 times, but even for me, I don't... I I told Steve this. It's really easy to get old man Jason to fall asleep. When <laughs> um, I was watching this late at night, and I didn't fall asleep once. I watched the whole thing, went back, watched it again, didn't fall asleep once, and just picked up on all the stuff that I really like about old Steven Spielberg. Steve's right. Family looks like they live in a house of people of you know they're people that I recognize from day to day life. Their house isn't some 
isn't some set designer's dream about what he thinks people live like as middle-class citizens, which is usually someone who makes Mm $400,000. This is a working-class family's home. There is one room that they have thrashed because that is the room where they do all their hobbies, they do all this stuff, that's where the TV is, that's where Roy has set up his his frickin' train set, and the kids have all, it seems like, a lot of their toys... And the rest of the house is just, meh, it's 1970s. The neighborhood is, eh, it's a 1970s track house, whatever. You know, uh, Jillian lives in a, in an, I guess, an old farmhouse. Yeah. Right? But, I mean, the interior, it looks like houses that I've been in. The kids act like kids. They don't act like kids usually did in the 1970s and up to now. They're not smart asses, right? They don't, they don't know more. They don't reference things that no kid would reference. They're kids, and they can be bastards. The brothers are <laughs> constantly fighting, and I can tell you right now, I constantly fought with my brother over the stupidest shit, and their arguments are exactly the same kind of arguments. He says, I saw you. You came down from the moon and snuck in my window, and the other kid's like, I'm not from the moon. Those dumb arguments are arguments that kids have. Totally. Their parents have arguments the way parents have arguments. You know, it... it it's something that I think he's lost. I have not seen... I've mentioned this before. I have not seen him make a movie with regular people in it in a really long time. I have not seen him make another movie that had just Joe Electrician as, right. the, as the central character. And I think that's unfortunate because he's really good at telling stories about everyday people being in extraordinary situations. And this is one of those movies where you have regular people finding themselves in extraordinary situations. I do believe that the message is the message of hope. It has a nice, happy ending. And then you watch the spaceship fly for about all the way through the credits. And um, that's great. Um, Lacombe gets what he wants because he gets to say hi to an alien, which is what they've all wanted, I guess. Even the military wants that. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just good. It's well acted. It's well paced. Mm-hmm. Boy, oh boy, is it well paced. It starts off with these beginning mysteries. Where do these fighters come from? And what's wrong with the people in the, in the control tower? And then it just slowly builds so that by the time we get to the point where we actually see the first spaceship, we're like, oh boy, <laughs> that, looks, that looks cool. And then that's when it is. It's a chase mystery. Roy chasing, trying to figure out what's going on. He's received a psychic message that he doesn't understand. Is he actually going crazy? And it does kind of have some of the ramifications of what this has done to him and what it's done to his family. There are no... I mean, it would have been so easy to make him single. It would have been so easy to make his family understand or have his family show up at the fucking thing and go, wait, Daddy, we're going with you. And the whole family goes up into space and it's like, no, fuck you. Not a cocoon ending. No! (laughs) No! I'm going, just me, all by myself. Now, it's true. At the time, Steven Spielberg was not only not married, he had no children. And so, of course, no no children, of course I'll go. No, ch- no children, no wife, I'll go. That'll be awesome. Um, the fact that he doesn't explore that even a little bit, and Roy is like, fuck it, I'm out of here. I'm good. Everything's golden. Meanwhile, you don't want to think about, so daddy just disappeared, mommy? <laughs> <laughs> Why do we keep getting a check from the government called hazard pay? (laughs) Don't, no, 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 it's okay. (laughs) 
But that doesn't matter by the end of the movie. It's only when you start thinking about certain things, you're like, yeah, he did abandon them. And a lot of people, just like Steve said, now oh, I'm glad he made the good decision. That family is awful. That family was a family, Steve. Fuck them. No, you fuck them. <laughs> you have a kid, you have a family, and then abandon them see how easy it is. I'm not saying fuck the kids. I'm saying <laughs> fuck the kids. <laughs> <laughs> but it's it's a great movie. Emotionally, visually, it's, a, it's something that was really important to him when he made it. Um... And it is. I I think it is just. It's just a visual and emotional masterpiece that I watch every time, and I always feel good. And there's no huge fight. There's not not a single gun is fired. I think in in this movie, there's no. I mean, like I said, the chase scene is them running off of the military base while people just say, "Hey, wait a minute," and that's about <laughs> it. There's some soldiers with guns, but they don't shoot them at anybody. And the worst that's going to happen is they're going to get knockout gas that puts them to sleep. Oh, no. Oh, no. What will happen? Well, I mean, Roy won't find out what's going on. And by that point, we're invested in finding out what's going on, just like Roy is. Because we don't have any information. We have a little bit more information. We know the government's behind it. But, I mean, we still want to know what Roy wants to know. What's going on? Who are you people? (laughs) That's basically it. So, yeah. Classic. I like it. Steve, not recommend something. <laughs> I'm going to not recommend. It's another movie about an alien invasion. Okay. It's it and it's called it's called extraterrestrial visitors, and that might not ring a bell for most of you. But no, it doesn't. But I bet it will ring a bell if I tell you that you might know it better by its alternate title that it was re-released under several years after its original release. And that okay. and that alternate title is Pod People. I knew you were gonna say that. Trumpy, you do magic things. <laughs> so Pod People is a really, really terrible kind of half-assed ripoff of E.T. Mm-hmm. With with aliens that look like Alf, they're like little aliens with like snouts. They look like they look like anteaters. Um, yes, and it's free bodies. Yeah, and and it's about you know one of these aliens gets picked up by this this little kid with horribly abusive parents. Uh, <laughs> horribly abusive, really old parents. Yeah, uh, unusually old parents for such a young child, and mm-hmm. uh, and they live way the hell out in the middle of nowhere in the woods, and they uh, encounter. A, a, a group of, of young adults who are all in a band or are like producers at, at the, the studio or whatever. They're all like, uh-huh. and they're like out on a camping trip and they run afoul of these aliens and some hunters that are trying to kill the aliens. And they all end egg up in the house collectors. together. Huh? They're egg collectors. They're egg collectors. Yeah, that's right. They're, yeah, they're, they're like egg poaching people. Yeah, but. Yeah. Um, and anyway, and you know, hijinks ensue and. Um, a bunch of people die, and then like the alien's mom comes back to get him, and that's pretty much it. Um, and yes, spoiler alert: Trumpy can do stupid things. Uh, you probably, if if you know this movie, you probably know it best as I do because it was the it was the subject of one of the best episodes of Mystery Science Theater three thousand. That's um, right. One of my very favorite episodes of MST3K is the Pod People episode, where they they make fun of the song that the band sings, um, mm-hmm. and the which which is difficult to do because the song itself that is actually in the movie is ridiculous with utterly deranged <laughs> nonsensical lyrics. Um, 
But anyway, it's a really, it, I mean, it, it's the, the Mystery Science Theater version is a classic. The movie by itself, eh, not so much. So, so I am not recommending the, the original non-MST3K version of Pod People. No reason you need to watch that. Yay! As you guys know, I like to not recommend a movie from the same year as the movie that we just reviewed, and it's 1977. And as we mentioned before, so many goddamn movies came out in 1977, aside from Star Wars and Close Encounters of the Third Kind and Eraserhead. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but not all of them were good, and not all of them got the memo that Star Wars was going to fuck your shit up if you're making a, <laughs> making a science fiction movie. And so the movie I'm not going to recommend stars Christopher Lee and Robert Vaughn. And I, yeah, I said those two names in the same sentence because they appear in the same movie. Interesting. At some point, someone decided, hey, let's make a movie like it's out of 1954 and we only had a $50,000 budget. No one said, why? And then they made it. And that movie is called Starship Invasions. And it's terrible. <laughs> and don't see it because it's so bad. It literally feels like something from a bunch of people in the 1950s not trying, except now it's in the 1970s and they're not trying. And they had the bad luck of releasing it the same year as Star Wars and Close Encounters of the Third Kind. <laughs> not good, fellas. It's not good at all. Not bad planning, guys. It's literally like people dressed in costumes are supposed to be... I don't. It's dumb. It's just dumb. Don't see it. It's stupid. Maybe you can riff on it, but I don't want to risk having to watch it again to riff on the fucking thing, because it may be really bad. And me <laughs> sitting alone making fun of a movie just to see if it's riffable, I think I'd have to end everything at that point, stop the podcast, and just be like, why am I doing this to myself? Alone, I could be doing anything. COVID's not driven me to that point yet. <laughs> not yet. And nor should it allow you. So if you find... If you find Starship Invasions anywhere, hit yourself on the head until you forget where you found it on the internet. Erase your history. <laughs> Just don't. Never speak again to the person who recommended it to you. That's right. Hey, Steve. Yeah, man. Guess what time it is. Oh, God. It's time for me to make a terrible choice. That's right. Oh, you guys know that now is the time of the show where I make Steve choose the next movie we're going to review by forcing him to choose between three movies that I have chosen and he does not know what they are. And I'm throwing a new wrinkle into this choice to make it even worse. Oh, oh boy. <laughs> I was hoping you would somehow make it worse. As you guys have noticed, I try to pick similar films around a theme or director or, you know, like last time it was superheroes and it, and it was bad. They were all bad. Everything was bad. Or, you know, I pick a director and I say, hey, we're going to do all of Ron Howard's movies. And you can pick three Ron Howard's movies, Steve. <sighs> Boy, that's going to be an 0 for 3 no matter what 3 you put in there. Right. But now, here on out, or whenever I fucking feel like it, it's my show. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to do two movies that are related and a wild card. Ooh, I like that. One that's not related to anything else. I like that. Okay, so now Steve gets to pick. Oh, boy. A, B, or C? <sighs> Steve? C. Pick the movie. What did you say? C. I was going to say pick the movie that I'm psychically projecting oh, to uh, you. Oh, but I picked one already. And, and you picked the one that I was psychically projecting <gasps> to you. I picked the right one. <laughs> There was really not a bad one in this bunch. It was going to be 80s sci-fi. Ooh. 
So the first movie, A, had you chosen it, would have been The Terminator. Okay. James Cameron's The Terminator. Hell yeah. Can't believe we haven't reviewed it yet. Yes, I know, someday. Had you chosen B, (laughs) it would have been James Cameron's Aliens. Ooh, yeah. But Steve chose the wild card. I did, oh boy. So instead of watching any of that shit... (laughs) Steve and I are going to review a little movie by John Carpenter, <gasps> delightfully called Big Trouble <gasps> in Little China. Oh, yes. <laughs> Kurt Russell, here I come, baby. So if you want to get all the jokes or find out why we even get confused by the plot at times, <laughs> please watch Big Trouble in Little China. I'm sure you can find it somewhere for cheap. Mm-hmm. And that's it. Thanks for listening to the show again, you guys. I'm always surprised that you come back. (laughs) We went on a bunch of really weird tangents this time around. Um, But for me at late seating, this is Jason Hardick. And go see a movie this week. And this has been Steve Shives. Do you want me to hit you? You let go of that fence. was not in the movie yes it was when when the kid is like when he's he he takes he takes a small roy takes a small section of the neighbor's fence and one of his yes. kids is like pulling more of the fence up and oh and, that's right and the mom is like and terry gar says do you want me to hit you yes <laughs> i miss the 70s so much and then, and then after she says that roy comes back and takes more of the fence <laughs> Oh, remember when parents used to beat their kids in public, they, Steve? They used to publicly threaten to do the most you awful things. You took off things a flip-flop and you just whacked them just one went, right in the fanny. Eddie Murphy has a whole bit about it in Delirious, about how his, his mom would take her shoe off and hit her kids with it like from across the room. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not, you know, guys, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that abusing your children in public is better than it is now where you mollify your children and try to bribe them into quietness in public by offering them candy or toys or McDonald's or whatever. No, obviously, obviously, things are much better now that we've learned to bribe children, not to respect authority, but to wait with your hands open for authority to give you things based on your bad behavior. No, now is so much better we're we're raising a much better generation than the ones that lived in terror of their own parents <laughs> and i think the results thus far have borne that out that's true at least these kids are nicer they're nicer they're less racist i mean well most of them some of them are actually a little bit more racist which is worrying but you know what for the most part they're great kids, they're great they, kids. They think about other people they're empathic yeah right they care about the world and they care about other people and you know they probably right. they probably do okay if their dad decided to blow them off and get on board a spaceship and fly away forever sure <laughs> without even saying they'd goodbye. support him they'd support him they'd send him cards and gifts you know what they'd probably handcraft something at That's their maker's right. fair very for thoughtful. their fucking father who's decided fuck the planet i'm leaving they'd have some sort of 
you know, some you know what? They'd have a party. That's right. They'd be socially distanced. They'd they make would. sure to invite a, a an inclusive group of people, even if they're not even friends with their dad, just for the look of it. You know, for the look of it, to make sure that everybody's representative, yes. right, Steve? They're good kids. They're th- they think <laughs> about things like that. They think about representation. That's right. They think about these things, whether or not it's appropriate for their father, who doesn't have any of the, Who is that person over there? Oh, well, that's Barbara, and Barbara's you know uh you know trans non-exclusionary I, you're gonna have to come up with this because i have no idea how to say any of these things <laughs> and he's like oh okay yeah you've mentioned barbara before I, i've never met barbara she seems great and you're like yeah she is great and we just wanted to make sure that when we take our pictures here at the party that no one can complain about who we didn't invite dad <laughs> Wait, is this party for me or for you? What do you think? Just shut up. Get on your fucking spaceship. Get back on your spaceship. <laughs> oh, by the way, Dad, I had just happened to notice that all the aliens on that spaceship were white. Where were the black aliens? What? <laughs> <laughs> just, just uh, the boomer confusion. I don't, like, I don't, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know if there are any. Oh, just because you didn't see any doesn't mean that there aren't any, right, Dad? Why don't you take some of this literature onto the spaceship so they can get woke? I can see. I don't even. I barely know what that means. <laughs> I can see some things are no different in space than they are down here. Great. Everything's shitty, right, Dad? Thanks. Now you boomers ruined space too. <laughs> and by the way, there's space sex workers. Okay. <laughs> All right, whatever. I'm going to put it on my blog post or some shit. I've never sounded older in my entire life. <laughs> we don't do blogs anymore. We do TikToks. Oh, that's right. What's a TikTok? I don't fucking yeah. know, dude. <laughs> I don't know. I just know the kids like them and some of Is them seem pretty cool. Is it a thing that cool. we should be into with the, tic- the TikTok? I'm not we even. should be doing a TikTok. I'm not even on Twitch. People tell me you should have a Twitch channel and I feel like I'm about 85 years old. Well, I know what Twitch is. I mean, is. I know Jeez, what it is, geezer. but I'm not I'm not like what is the utility of it? Why would I want to have one of those? Oh, it's for <laughs> people stream themselves playing games. Steve, where are you going? Steve? <laughs> hey Steve, don't you want to play a video yeah. game while talking about some shit that you're talking yeah. about? Don't you want to play a video game in front of other let other people watch you play a video game? You know, the most mm-hmm. apparently the most exciting thing that you can do nowadays? <laughs> Well, I mean, usually the host has some sort of personality. They bring something to the experience. My personality is that I don't really play video games that much. Your personality is that your favorite place to be is under a rock with nobody. Yeah. (laughs) Come come to my Twitch stream, everybody. I have memories of watching my friends play video games. Yeah, but... When I was in high school. But, like, Mm -hmm. I mean... I mean, I've, yeah, I mean, obviously I've watched other people play video games, but I mean, mm. it was like, usually it's like when it's like a one player game and you're waiting for them to die. So it's your turn or it's like a particular game that like, you know, you've both been trying to beat for forever, mm. you know, and your, your buddy is like on the last level and it looks like he might actually beat it. Like it, it's, I mean, the, just the, ge- the general pastime of, you know, mm. let's watch somebody else play a video game. Like I, can I just, wait. can I just do wait, wait, nothing wait. else instead? Wait, when you watch other people play video games when you're in high school, you were both clothed? Okay, we should probably... We should probably we what? We should probably wrap this up, I think. I mean, we're, you know... Oh, what? We're done? I think we're done, yeah. Is this something we need to talk about off mic? It might be. Okay. You'll warn me, right, if I'm 
if I'm really wrong, right? Uh huh. How much mayonnaise was involved? There. Okay, we really need to wrap up. Okay. Okay. Bye, everybody. Bye, everybody. This one time, his mom came home. Uh huh. She made a noise that I don't think exists in nature, and I'm fairly certain it's still shooting out into the universe. She was like black bolt. She <laughs> the noise she made. <laughs> oh my god. Late Seating is a Let Me Listen podcast production featuring Steve Shives and Jason Harding. Produced by Jason Harding. Theme music, Rollin' at Five, composed and performed by Kevin McLeod. You can find more Let Me Listen podcast productions at our website at www.letmelistenpodcast.com. You can also find us on Stitcher, iTunes, or just about anywhere you download podcasts. Late Seating is a listener-supported podcast. If you would like to support Late Seating or any of the other Lemmy Listen productions for as little as $1 a month, please visit our Patreon page at www.patreon.com slash Listen. And thanks for listening.